talk a little bit about the writing of something wicked this way comes, Mr. Bradbury. Yeah. Back in 1952, I met Gene Kelly. He had read the Martian Chronicles, and he loved it, and he wanted to meet me. So I went to his house. I said, Mr. Kelly, you've just done the greatest musical ever made, Singing in the Rain. And I complimented him on that. We became good friends, had meetings over a period of years. And one night I said to my wife, oh my God, I'd like to work for Gene Kelly. She said, get something out of your file, turn it into a screenplay, and give it to Gene Kelly. So I did that. And I gave it to Gene Kelly and said, my God, I'd love to do this in a film. Can I take it to Paris and London and try and get some money? I said, take it, take it. <laughs> so he went off to Paris and London, and he came back a month later. He said, I'm sorry, Ray, there's no money. I said, don't tell me you're sorry. Mr. Kelly, I'm so honored that you wanted to be part of my life. So he gave me back my screenplay, and I spent two years turning it into a novel called Something Wicked This Week. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Shall we Shall we crack open the book? Let's do Are we it. There? Let's you do, it. do it. We do, I wish we had a jingle a good jingle for like this set cuz this is not Something just Something like, wicked this way comes. Something wicked this way comes. This, this book club. <laughs> so you do like a like a barbershop quartet version. I guess I'm so. just I'm just one man though. I, I need know. three more. Yeah, a one man barbershop quartet. Well, a student. But it's like the same tune. But every time every time you do it, you plug in the name of the book. So it's oh, like, I see. Do a new book book club. I know I'm saying uh, something wicked this way comes, but uh, <laughs> well, something. something mighty fine just walk through the door. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so here we are, book okay, club. So not that jingle. No, 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 no. But uh, Jackson Harper, get on that. So when I <laughs> he's going to send us some really creative stuff. So, yeah, yeah. um, so. It delighted my heart. I remember I reached out to you very, like, in, in one of those rare occasions where I'm just very much like, okay, I need this. Please don't fight me on it. Let's just do this. Um, I, I was like, I need to spend October talking about Something Wicked This Way Comes. This book is, uh, you know, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. For many years, I cited it as my favorite novel. Um, since then, I've, ha- I've kind of come to realize that if I was being really objective assessing everything, I think Christmas Carol is my favorite book. 
But for many years, and something wicked this way comes is still like my favorite sort of, you know, Christmas Carol is more viewed as a, like a novella or it's a little bit of a, a kind of its own thing. Uh, so just of a novel that, you know, people could cite as just, hey, here's a, a, a book you could go out that you may not have already read that you may not know about. Uh, something wicked this way comes still ranks high, 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 uh, among my favorites. It's a book that's very special and important to me. And as such, uh, I'm going to try my best not to just like make all of these little segments just gush fests on everything. Okay. And I, <laughs> mm, okay. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, but I said, you know, I really want this to be uh, kind of what we spend our time doing in October. And that sort of yielded, you know, much of the programmed content that we're doing this October is going to be sort of themed around a, a traversing through something wicked this way comes. Uh, so my, my, my first question is, I know you've, you've mentioned it. So maybe the answer is pretty brief. Um, but you, you think you read this in high school. Um, <laughs> so I want to applaud you. You know me well. <laughs> so I wanted to find out like, as you, and, and granted, we've only made it through the first, you know, 12 chapters at this point, as of this conversation. So, um, are, are things like coming back to you? Is it not ringing much of a bell at all? Like what's your general sort of record? Um, collection um, i feel pretty confident i did read it mm. it i you know um flavor and tone have been lost to time even mm. if plot hadn't been now i don't remember kind of how it resolves necessarily but sure just, sure you know kids and dark carnival mm. in a fiction novel setting yes i i'm pretty positive i've read it but you know when that would have been i i don't know but but yeah, so I, I was I was pretty excited um, to jump in. Do you have more questions? No, I was just, and then okay. I mean, the only other follow up I was going to do is just like you know, tell me about your your experience with these first little bit, like getting acquainted with the Hated language. It. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be a long month. I just, I'm, oh man, <laughs> made a, made a grave error do, here. You just do the fourth episode by yourself. Like I'm just here. It's just like I'm not inviting gonna, you. It's like a reading. Just read I reading. Know what I do. Read reading. Um, read reading. That's a that's a podcast idea for you. <laughs> reading with read. Um, so yeah, we did twelve chapters, and initially that was daunting. And then I was like, oh, look at these brief little fellows. <laughs> Just clip right I along. Love it. Love it. It's like <laughs> Cobra Kai. Twenty five minutes in and out. Um, yes, sensei. Um, I do want to. I'm looking in my phone because I took a couple notes. Looking yeah. in my phone because I took a couple notes. <laughs> 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 Though the only notes I took were to remember the names and who is who. So it's uh, Will and Jim, yeah, yeah. and then Charles's dad, or Charles is the dad, and then Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show. That's a good name. Isn't that a great? Name? Reminds yeah. me a little bit of Neil Diamond's Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show, which is a very different uh, mm. touring touring company. Yeah. That said, um. I do want to play a little game with you real quick, Riri. Oh, it's a new and, surprise. Uh, it's, it's something wordy this way comes. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> because, you know, this is my, y your man Ray. He has a way with the words. Mm -hmm. uh, Ray's way. Ray's way. Um, that always makes me, a, there's a song. It's a shame about Ray. Is that a Cranberries album? I don't know. Song it's a title 90s, doesn't ring about. 90s alternative music reference there. Chase Allen oh. will know that. Get on that, Chase. <laughs> um, Siri probably would too, but you know, <laughs> it's not a human yet. Um, so there's three there's three vocab words that jumped out at me in this little segment of something okay. wordy this way comes, and yeah. I want to share them with you and our listeners. One is 
perambulated, Reed. Oh, yeah. Perambulated. That's a really good word. That's a fantastic word. What were you about to say? Nothing. I'm just, I'm, okay. I'm basking in the glow uh, of the literature. Perambulated means to walk through, about, or over. Hmm. Also, to traverse in order to examine or inspect. Hmm. It's a really good word. So if you're taking notes at home, perambulated. Perambulated. Uh, I am not going to use that in a sentence. <laughs> now, this word, there's three words. The third one, I, I probably had a little bit of familiarity with. This second one, I was like, that is a keeper. <laughs> um, but because <laughs> I've never seen this word. Um, the word is Montgolfier. Oh, Montgolfier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Montgolfier. Yeah. I've never seen that word. Yeah, it's a hot and air it balloon. Means <laughs> the game isn't. You define it. This is your book we're reading. I'm just trying to find find ways to join you. And <laughs> the look on your face. <laughs> just the fuck. You <laughs> SOB. Like, it's really? midnight my time and we're just getting started and you're taking my game away from me. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my gosh. Huh. Yes, Reed. It's a balloon <laughs> raised by air, heated from a fire in the lower part. <laughs> <laughs> the death stare that I got. It's so yeah, glorious. Yeah, you earned it. Oh, um, the last word. I won't define this mm, one. I there promise. it is. No, it's all right. Whatever. I, <laughs> um, I was. I, I, this is one of those words where you're like, there's a decent chance I've seen that before, but it, it wasn't. Immediately registering in such a fashion. Semaphore, read. Mm. Semaphore, which is, and that's S-E-M-A-P-H-O-R-E, is an apparatus for conveying information by means of visual signals as a light whose position may be changed. I just love, I love words. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. So, um, so yeah, those were some words. Perambulated, Montgolfier, and semaphore were immediately registering to me. So, do you, what 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 do you want to talk about <laughs> in these twelve chapters? Read. So I figured in this first installment, uh, I have a few little yeah 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 I yeah. Took, so I'm gonna get a couple maybe trivial bits out of the way. Just uh, do uh, it uh, because you know as they go through, I figure in this inaugural installment where there's not as much that people had to read. If you had to read this, it's twelve chapters, maybe fifty ish pages. So not a huge ask. Um, and so I figured you know we get a couple of things out of the way. So first off, you know the title comes from the Scottish play. I'm not in a theater, so I can go ahead and say that's Macbeth, um, where the witches say, by the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Um, there, it, it, What's interesting to me is this book is frequently spoken of as if it is the second part of a trilogy, which technically, yes, it is. Um, Greentown, Illinois is a fictional town that Ray Bradbury created. It's similar to Stephen King's Castle Rock or Dairy or something like that, um, except obviously more idyllic and and sort of, uh, you know, less sinister, uh, at least in other places it shows up. The first novel set there was called Dandelion Wine, and it's actually Ray Bradbury was primarily a short story writer. And when they told him that he should write a novel, he said, I don't know how to write a novel. I don't, he literally was like, I don't know how to write a novel. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And so they said, well, just take, take a bunch. I forget what friend of his, um, said, well, just take, you've written a bunch of short stories on Mars. Why don't you just thread those together, make a couple of tweaks and changes to them. And then that's your novel. Like you've written a novel. And so hence, the Martian Chronicles was born. That's all the Martian hmm. Chronicles is, is a collection of, you know, a dozen plus short stories that 
Bradbury loosely tweaked, connecting some character names here and there, and then made a threaded novel that way. Dandelion Wine, the first novel of Greentown, Illinois, is the same thing, a, a collection of short stories that are loosely threaded together. Um, but then uh, Bradbury would later write like an official sequel to Dandelion Wine called Farewell Summer. He also published a, a, a straight-up collection of short stories called Summer Morning and Summer Night. And so Something Wicked This Way Comes takes place. It feels place. like a missed opportunity that he didn't do Summer Lovin'. Summer Lovin'. <laughs> <laughs> Having a blast. Oh, my gosh. Your wife will appreciate that, too. That's true. No, she will. Um, so this takes place in Greentown, Illinois. So it is loosely considered the second part of the trilogy between Dandelion Wine and Farewell Summer. But it shares no characters. No, Like, Dandelion Wine and Farewell Summer have the same characters in each novel. But Something Wicked This Way Comes is unique unto itself. So I don't consider it, even though it is technically and often published and promoted as, like, the second book of the Greentown series, I don't consider it as such because it is unique into itself. It is a complete story. It does not thread to the rest of Bradbury's catalog except some of the characters of Cougar and Dark's show um, do yes, show up in other places. I did places. recognize the tattooed man. Yes, the illustrated man, absolutely. The illustrated man. Uh, yeah. Um, I wrote this down. The The influence of this novel is is possibly incalculable because Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, R.L. Stein, they all cite specifically Something Wicked This Way Comes as a major inspiration to them. No Dean Koontz? Uh, no, <laughs> not that I know. <laughs> um, so, uh, and and one of the biggest things that they sort of drew from it when they talk about it is how deftly it blends the sinister and the frightening with strikingly human characters and characteristics, uh, a very human setting. Um, it's not just about the monster. It's about the characters, and and obviously they're going to be st- thrust into a story that's, that's quite sinister, but it's really just about them. Um, so then from there, I just figured we could, th- that's all I really had in, in, by way of like, brief trivial bits so then i figured we could just walk our way through these 12 chapters not every single one but just sort of make our way through (laughs) you know broad strokes so what's what's the first note that you have on there just yielding over to you um unless you have some more general thoughts how how insistent are you in the what sounds like a very didactic approach that you just outlined of 12 chapters versus just the rough story laid out and then yeah Plucking, cherry picking highlights from yeah. that. Nope, that's fine. Let, okay. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, so I do want to just shout out here. Um, I don't know if this just means I need to be more well read. I don't like the idea that that might be the case because I feel like I read pretty substantially. But um, I always point to Frederick Beekner as my as 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 an example of what I was about to describe, and and I'm allowing the possibility slash probability there's a lot more out there like this. I just am unfamiliar with it. Mm. Um, but Bradbury's style is very, at least in this, I don't know how this carries across other works, but is, is just very easy. And yes. And, and by easy, I don't mean simplistic. It's, it's actually quite not. Um, There's this weird feeling like you're just stepping into a stream. Like Mm, the, 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 the the rhythm just kind of washes over and past and, and it's very, even though, and we're not even really into any of the more profoundly sinister elements of it, presuming they're to come. I don't even mean uh, not that, but it's just very pleasant mm-hmm. to read. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you, and even in a way that I don't know, and I'm with you. We we all know this. We love Stephen King here, but King is a very direct, yeah, 
uh, almost prosaic writer when you compare him to something like this. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I just found that very enjoyable. You know, if you, if you are going to read something, you should enjoy the reading of it. Yeah. Because at least he, when it comes to fiction. Oh, absolutely. And well, because his, his prose is frequently feels like poetry and, and feels very much like it's, I love the way you describe it like a stream. It has a flow to it and it has, uh, kind of a, a, a warmth. I, I would, I would say this. It's, this is interesting to me. I think Ray Bradbury's prose is very high minded, but it's not like, it's also very grounded. Like it, 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 it has a sense where you could kind of feel elevated a bit reading through it, especially some of the passages, either because you're struck by, I know this is my experience. You're either struck by the sudden loveliness of it or the sudden, you know, poignancy of it. Um, but you, you get to this place where again, you just kind of, begin to feel a bit elevated by what you're reading but at the same time it's not very lofty language you cited three words that yes are are in truth are uh you know miracles of vocabulary but the language is very accessible it's it's something that you can enter into very easily and i think it does have the effect of giving you a kind of a, a warmth as you're as you're going through it and i think that holds true especially for his early prose, anything prior to like 1980. Toward the end of his life, his prose did take on a different sort of flavor. It became a little bit more direct um, or pivoted so much that it was so poetic it almost became abstract and obtuse to where mm. it was a little hard to follow the plot. But these early works, Illustrated Man, Martian Chronicles, Dandelion Wine, Something Wicked This Way Comes, Fahrenheit 451, they all have this same feel, the same flavor. Like I just recently, I had mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I just recently reread Martian Chronicles and man, there's, I mean, just, there's some passages in that that will just bowl you over. Just like, man, this is beautiful and haunting and, and, uh, and, and I simultaneously like want to cry and, and feel a little afraid and everything. It's just got lots of, uh, it's got lots of layers going on in the way that he pairs prose together. He has a strong grasp of the power of a concise moment. Um, and uh, so in these early stages, just to, to kind of introduce us to our story, it's a small town, Greentown, Illinois. Our, our early on, I love the first line of the novel, it says, first of all, it was October, a rare month for boys. And uh, then we we meet our primary players, Will Halloway and Jim Nightshade. They're each 13 years old. They're our primary protagonists, if you will. Uh, they were born literally seconds apart, and they have a bond very much like brothers, even though they're not. Uh, Will can be a bit of a Boy Scout. He's obedient. He's protective. Jim's more of a wild card, uh, more provocative, kind of perpetually curious. Um, and so they're kind of like equal parts, similar and opposite. But then we also meet Will's father, Charles Halloway, who is a very, if you can't tell from these first 12 chapters, is a very vital part of the story. And in many ways, I think was Bradbury's surrogate. Like, I think, and maybe you already picked up on this, but I think as the story progresses, many times the voice and the thoughts of Charles Halloway are Bradbury's. Those are, those are his thoughts that he's just sort of encapsulating into this character and expressing that way. Um, uh, Charles Halloway is a 54 year old library janitor. Like, I love that. He's a, he's a, the janitor of a public library in a small town. So the, so like 
the epitome of non-successful. <laughs> like he's not even a librarian. He's just the custodian in this small town public library. Um, and, uh, and I love, there's even a line that I wrote down. I forget which chapter it's in, but um, Will in his thoughts describes him as the old man who was also a janitor who happened to be his father. And mm. I thought like, that's just, you know, that says it all right there of just like, he, he's an unremarkable man. And, uh, but his, you know, his spirit and his actions, you already get a sense that like, this is going to be an important person. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll mention just one or two things and then pivot over to you to sure. chime in on something else. So, um, I did love the little aside when they boys come to the library and, and Charles says, you have to decide if you're going to wear a, a white hat or a black hat. You got to decide if you're a white hat person or a black hat story. Uh, clearly I'm a black hat spirit. Um, but I just love that so much. It's just like as as a general idea of okay you like things a little bit lighter a little bit more palatable or you like a little bit of an edge you like a dark side like what's you know kind of what direction do you tilt one way or another um and then one more thing i'll mention before i pivot over chapter three specifically is the moment for me every time i read the book where i remember for myself even though i always feel it uh that the story is special and that it's about more than just the plot or more than just what's going to happen to these characters. Um, for a reminder, in case you don't remember what happens in chapter three, it's just these brief moments where Charles watches the boys run away and has this internal thought about why boys run at all and promising them in his heart that he'll catch up someday. It's just, it's aching and lovely. And uh, again, I find it well beautiful. Read. Yeah. That's friendship, each playing the potter to see what shapes we can make of the other. Mm. I mean, that's powerful. It's beautiful, yeah, and and I, I I love it so much. What did you What did you write down? I have a couple more notes before we you know kind of close it down and move on. But uh, what did you um, write down? yeah, I mean, I loved uh, very early. There was that one, both these lines about friendship. That one from chapter three. There's one towards the front end of chapter two. It was um, like all like all boys that never walked anywhere, but named a goal and lit for it. Scissors and elbows. Nobody won. Nobody wanted to win. This is the line. It was in their friendship. They just wanted to run forever. Shadow and shadow. It's very mm. powerful. That's wonderful. Um, one other line that just really grabbed me is I think what's happening in this scene is. Oh, maybe it's actually the barber, Mr. Corsetti, the barber. Um, and I. If I'm recalling correctly, this is when is there some impression of kind of characters being frozen in time yes. for a moment of just sensing or yeah. you know there's kind They're of a bit this, hypnotized this, for a moment, mesmerized. Yeah. yeah. And Mr. Corsetti, I remember how long how a long time ago boys he's talking about um like candy, cotton candy, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they smell cotton candy there, that's it. And this gentleman who I think is the barber, he says my nose tells me breathe and I'm crying. Why? Because I remember how a long time ago boys ate that stuff. And this is the line. Why haven't I stopped to think and smell the last 30 years? Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have two other little one that is a passage that, that um, is powerful. And then one other sort of note. Uh, and that's all I've got. Sure. Do you want to sandwich something in here real quick? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mention, I have four little brief notes here that I'll, uh, I'll mention. Uh, so plot wise, all that really happens in this story is we meet the boys, we meet their father. And then on this night, there are flyers posted everywhere that Cougar and Dark's pandemonium show is um, coming. 
and uh, eventually before it's all over, we, we actually witness, at least fractionally, we witness the coming of the carnival. But that's really all that plot-wise that takes place here. Jim and Will run all over town. Characters have observations and conversations with each other. And then, you know, everybody is anticipating the arrival of this carnival in late October when carnivals never arrive. Um, but uh, what strikes me so much, and it continues throughout the book, but uh, I'll hone in on Chapter 8. There's some wonderful observations about the relationship between Will and his father. Um, which isn't so much strained as it is just foreign. They just don't know each other. Um, and a lot of it is because of the age gap. They can never quite seem to reach each other, even though both of them clearly deeply want to have a strong connection. Uh, and I love the image of Will sometimes stays up late and listens to his father talk to his mother because of a quality in his voice. Is that one of your notes? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, go, go ahead and say it. No, I mean, uh, I mean, mainly I just was kind of, moved to tears at just the line and he says he, he's recounting that idea that he does this thing right and he says and the odd thing in dad's voice was the sound truth makes being said isn't that a lovely just, line and then a wonderful yeah, that's a, yeah, wonderful a wonderful line, line. wonderful well line. and I'll, I'll in the spirit of that two pages prior still chapter eight um i mean one of the most just powerful passages of it so far uh, Will is reflecting on seeing his parents at home. And he says, this is a little long, but he says framed through the hall door. Will saw the only theater he cared for. Now the familiar stage where sat his father holding a book, but reading the empty spaces in a chair by the fire, mother knitted and hummed like a tea kettle. He wanted to be near and not near them. He saw them close. He saw them far. Suddenly they were awfully small in too large a room in too big a town and much too huge a world. In this unlocked place, they seemed at the mercy of anything that might break in from the night. Including me, Will thought, including me. Suddenly, he loved them more for their smallness than he ever had when they seemed tall. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I think that's the thing about this. This is just such a beautiful book. I mean, like... Something beautiful, this makes <laughs> And that's the thing is, like, it is... And it does get... It, it does get... I don't know what listeners' experience will be. I don't know what your experience will be. To me, there are moments where it gets tremendously darker and more grim, but it never loses, from my memory, it never loses that quality of loveliness that we're expressing in some of these passages. Even in some of its scarier and grimmer moments, it ha there is this constant thread of just the beauty and fragility of things like that. And uh, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about it, because I feel like that's something that Bradbury had a profound grasp of, not only a grasp of being able to think through moments like that, but then being able to put words to them and express them in a way that resonates with so many other people. Um, and uh, I do want to mention, I, I don't recall actually in this moment how much more this comes up later in the book, but in chapter nine, we see the contrast between the life, the home life of Will and Jim, because Will has both parents at home, and obviously he has this this thing going on with his father where the two can't quite reach each other, but Jim just has his mother, and we not only learn we not only learn that she has lost Jim's dad and that his father has somehow died, but also two of his siblings. Um, so so she only has him left, and I thought this was really 
really uh, painful, but she's described, Jim Nightshade's mother is described as having been hit long ago. The bruises had never gone from around her eyes. Um, and so it's this image of somebody who clearly never sleeps because they've got dark circles under their eyes. But the way that's described is as if life hit her a long time ago and the bruises never went away. And I thought that was really, I mean, it's aching, but it's powerful. Um, I have just two more notes. Uh, did you have anything else? Mm-mm. No, okay. So I have these two more notes and then we'll, we'll wind down and transition over to the film. Um, so, uh, Tom Fury, the, the lightning rod salesman who we meet in chapter one, um, he wanders into the shop with the, you know, most beautiful girl in the world encased in a block of ice. I just wanted to mention it because we are going to see him again. Now, I know that we do some weird time travel on the show, um, uh, but did you read past 12 or did you stop at 12 no, as of this recording? Okay. So, um, so, Tom Fury, the lightning rod salesman, does appear again. So I, do, I so I want to mention him here for fluidity of later conversation. Um, but uh, but here, all we see is that he is walking along. He's been trying to peddle his wares and and uh, sell these lightning rods. He sells he gives one to Jim Nightshade at the very beginning of the book. But then uh, he's drawn in by the most beautiful girl in the world. And then in chapter twelve. The carnival finally arrives and, uh, you know, the ringmaster uh, descends in this massive air balloon, which eventually spreads out as like this vast canvas. And Will and Jim watch at like 3 a.m. Uh, haunted, but of course, you know, relentlessly curious. So you can tell that it's, um, you know, that things are dark. And, and, and again, as the book implies, something wicked is on its way. Um, but we still yet don't have a grasp of exactly what is sinister about this carnival and what its aim is and what it's doing to the people and much of the substance that i'm sure we'll draw from when we dive eventually into the themes of the book um that's largely what we're setting up for so what i desired for this first installment was just kind of a stage setting of the book get introduced to some of the to our our three primary characters um get sort of introduced to the fundamental premise and the fundamental place um get sort of started get into the rhythm of the language um and then we'll carry on with some more things as uh, as it goes through so The problem of the world is doomsayers. We're surrounded by negative people. I can't stand them. I found out about them when I was nine years old. Everyone made fun of me in uh, the fourth or fifth grade because I collected the Buck Rogers comic strips. That was 1929. The future was never going to arrive. And I've been surrounded by people who never believed in the future. And it was true then. It's true today. So I, uh, in the, that particular year, I tore up my comic strips. And a month later, I burst into tears and said to myself, why am I weeping? Who died? And the answer was me. I'd allowed these fools to kill me and to kill the future. So from that time on, I decided I'd never listen to another damn fool again in my life. And I went back and collected the Buck Rogers comic strips and ensured my future and began to write about it, became a writer. So I've learned that by doing things, things get done. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm not a, an optimist. I'm an optimal behaviorist. So that particular story in my new book, The Toynbee Convector, is based on my conviction that we ensure the future by doing it. Uh, which is a, a wonderful segue into our This is Halloween programming and a stop-off in Greentown, Illinois, for the next installment of Something Wicked This Way Comes. Um, so, listeners, if you've been keeping pace with us, we are going to be covering in this little segment 
the content of chapters 13 through 24, which concludes part one called Arrivals. Um, so uh, we are going to be venturing into the adventures of Will and Jim uh, and finally get to see what was teased in uh, the first 12 chapters and in our last conversation, uh, some more specifics around Cougar and Dark's uh, mysterious carnival. So, hey, this is early in, in chapter 13 and yeah. touches a thematic button, but I want to ask you about it as a sort of launch pad for Please, the, yes. the, the rest of part one. Um, I mentioned to you before started recording how a thing I liked, and it's, it's not a criticism, but the material we're covering for today leans less poetic, more narrative. And that's right. kind of cool. I mean, it, we get some really interesting plot elements that happen in this run of chapters, but there's a really powerful, uh, bit of what I would say is, is, poetic uh in chapter 14 and that's uh, a short chapter of charlie's inner life mm. about being a father mm -hmm. and you know specifically why i wanted to sort of broach this with you and and you know we are both fathers you are specifically a father of a son uh, i don't share that quite the same but this whole segment was just really wild it's it's a it's a meditation on 3 a.m the the yeah the time of 3 a.m and how uh i just love this god midnight's not bad you wake up and go back to sleep one or two's not bad you toss but sleep again five or six in the morning there's hope for dawn's just under the horizon but three oh christ 3 a.m doctors say the body's at low tide then the soul is out the blood moves slow you're the nearest to dead you'll ever be save dying so it goes on and on talking real poetically about 3 a.m and then uh, again, this is into Charlie, the father's mono inner monologue. Wasn't it true? Had he read it somewhere? More people in hospitals die at 3 a.m. than at any other time. Stop, he cried silently. The wife stirs. Uh, his wife smiled in her sleep. Why? This is the kind of main thrust that's worth kind of a conversation, if however short. Um, uh, she stirs. She smiled in her sleep. Why? She's immortal. She has a son. Your son, too. But what father ever really believes it? He carries no burden. He feels no pain. What man, like woman, lies down in darkness and gets up with child? The gentle, smiling ones own the good secret. Oh, what strange, wonderful clocks women are. They nest in time, capital T. They make the flesh that holds fast and binds eternity. They live inside the gift. No power, except, and need not mention it. Why speak of time when you are time? And shape the universal moments as they pass into warmth and action how men envy this is just powerful stuff yeah how men really envy and often hate these warm clocks these wives who know they will live forever so what do we do we men turn terribly mean because we can't hold to the world or ourselves or anything blind to continuity all breaks down falls melts stops rots or runs away so since we cannot shape time where does that leave men sleepless staring that's, that's amazing yeah. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's absolutely powerful. And then before we get into the actual discussion about it, I love the coda at the very end of the chapter because then his wife sort of wakes up and asks and she says, are you all right, Charlie? And then I just love it says she drowsed. He did not answer. He could not tell her how he was. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, man, it's. Well, yeah. what's kind of powerful about that? That whole section is. 
Bradbury does something interesting there by, because on the one hand, you could, you could say, man, he's making the man and not by the man. I mean, Charlie himself, but just literally the, the archetypal man, right? The tragic figure in this examination. At the same time, he hints at the woman's tragic Mm. engagement Mm. of the cosmos. You know what I mean? Like, like she is burdened by the secrets, by holding time, by shaping the universe. That's, it's just a really powerful kind of passage there. And if it feels almost burst of like, we mentioned last segment about his grasp of language. It feels almost like uncovered. It doesn't necessarily, and there's a lot of craft to it, but it feels almost like the, the poetry of it just feels birthed. It feels like, okay, there's no other way to yeah. express what's being expressed here. And, Charles Holloway is, um, I think I had mentioned this somewhere on the pod before. If I didn't, then, or, you know, it was so long ago. But before my son was born, I read three or four, in anticipation over the course of those nine months, I read uh, three or four books very specifically. And those books were very intentionally about fathers that I uh, that had stuck in my memory in in literature. So I read To Kill a Mockingbird because Atticus Finch. I read The Road because of the man. I read uh, Atticus, which is a book that you pointed yeah. me towards by mm. you know Ron Hansen. What a book! And uh, and then also I read Something Wicked This Way Comes because mm. of Charles Holloway and these reflections on what it means to be a father and what it means to be an older man. There's a segment it's not nearly s- I'm getting there it's true <laughs> um there's a, a segment that is in a later chapter not nearly so poetic but almost as powerful where will gets in trouble and we'll get into some more of the narrative beats but will gets in trouble for coming home late and he and jim have been distracted by the carnival which again we'll get into the specifics of but he gets in trouble for coming home late. And you know that some conversation took place between Charles and his wife. And when Charles gets up there, he like like stumbles through having to correct Will and having to talk to Will. And you get Will's side of that where Will is like, Dad, sit, talk, listen, mm-hmm. you know, like, but all Dad can do is stumble around. Like, all he can do is just walk around it and think around it and talk around it. He can't sit in it um and so it's a really poignant expression of this father and son's inability to connect with one another uh not out of a lack of desire but just an inability they just don't speak the language of each other anymore and so all charles says is is just be careful and then his wife like scolds him for it right right and as he's walking back down the hall he's like you know like He's too young. I'm too old, you know, because that is really that's that's something that is uh, definitely a thematic entryway into this. But it cannot be ignored for what we have seen and for what comes. It cannot be ignored that Charles Holloway is in his 50s. He's he's a middle aged man and he's got a a dawning teenage boy at his at his charge, you know, and that gap is a tremendous rift between them, not because anybody's done anything wrong, but just it is too far a chasm for them to to bridge. Um, And meanwhile, Charles is like longing to be young again and longing to be in connection with his former self. And then passages like this where it talks about, I I think I've, 
I'm still sort of trying to get to the bottom of all the things that Charles Halloway means in reflections like what you read, but um, just that that understanding of I'm I'm not the man I wanted to be. I'm not the man in the time I wanted to be. Um, and it's like, I feel like, especially now, you, you, uh, like Will and Jim, you know, you may have charged a bit ahead of me in the game, but we kind of run shadow and shadow in this, uh, you know, bridging these years. But now that I'm entering 40, it's one of those things where I, I am still trying to grasp like, okay, well, what does that what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for, you know, for in this existential way that you try to unpack? And, and it is absolutely a theme of the book, because if you haven't picked up on it already, readers, uh, listeners, co-host, um, one of the elements of the carnival, and I'm going to break into a bit of narrative, but it's not completely divorced from the theme that we're beginning to unpack. Um, we see that Mr. Cougar who is of Cougar and Dark's show, uh, Mr. Cougar uh, is this tall, very imposing and threatening individual. But then he steps onto the carousel. The carousel plays Chopin's funeral march backwards and runs backwards. And as it makes every one of its revolutions, he hey, goes, Benjamin Buttons. <laughs> Benjamin Buttons. He goes backwards in time. And as you can uh, probably intuit, that is one of the enticements the the themes like part of what cougar and dark will offer to their patrons is the promise of freedom from time and the promise of you will be unbridled from time like you will that um and so you can imagine the conflict that is beginning to stir at the edges and that when we get into our next segment we'll we'll have the collisions that have been building up to culminating into you know the final section but um but this is this is what the sinister the something wicked of the title is is this temptation this allure of you can be unbridled from time miss foley wanting to you know their seventh grade teacher who they you know encounter at the carnival and her wanting you know all of these these fantasies of imagination these wanting to go back to childlike wonder wanting to return to a time where time did not matter um mm-hmm. or to an age when time did not matter um and it's something that i think particularly us at our age but i think a vast majority of listeners either have or will very soon come into conflict with that sense of things of just being at home, not only in your own skin with who you are, but when you are and where you are and the, our, our place in chronology, uh, the times we find ourselves in and the age at which we find ourselves in those times. It's a, it's a terrible conflict that we all sort of have to wrestle against, uh, as it were. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm no, uh, dominating I, the conversation. Yeah, well, you know, it is the fear of God. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, what, um, what, what's another segment that you want to talk about? So the, um, we, we talked to, for a bit about Mr. Cougar. So, so the characters that we meet, and again, this passage has, although that, you know, that gut punch of chapter 13, most of these next, although the poetry of the language maintains, there's not as many reflective and thoughtful passages in these next run of chapters. It's a lot of just, okay, the carnival has arrived. 
What is this carnival all about? Miss Foley arrives and she looks into the House of Mirrors. One of the things that I really want to point out just for keeping pace with the narrative is Jim and Will, who were presented to us at the beginning of the book as, you know, parallels and opposites, but friends to the core. We begin to see an unraveling of their friendship, not an unraveling, but a rift beginning because Jim is very enticed by the carnival. He's very drawn to it. His raw, somewhat darker sided curiosity is is attracting him. To, and and the uh, the members of the carnival, uh, particularly Mister Dark, zone in on that, and mm-hmm. they and they know Jim is our our sort of uh, fish on the hook right now, and Will is staying a bit in the periphery and uh, is more sort of concerned for his friend, more sort of trying to um, keep some degree of sanity, um, and to the degree it's 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 very heartbreaking that that page and a half where. After they've been to the carnival, they've escaped its clutches, they rescued Miss Foley from the House of Mirrors, they've returned home, they've now seen that uh, Mr. Cougar reverted in time, mm-hmm. became right. Robert. Robert the nephew, and, uh, and like, you know, presented himself as Miss Foley's, you know, distant nephew, and uh, they're enthralled by this, it aches a bit, Will gets home, gets scolded for his late arrival, can't connect with his father, and I just he he longs to talk with his father. He longs to sit and and unpack all of these things. And then he throws the pebbles at the window and can't connect with his friend, right? Because his friend is too enticed by the um, by the allure of the carnival. And so then it's kind of heartbreaking when Jim finally like cl- climbs out of the window, crawls down, and then Will like tries to get his attention, and Jim straight up ignores him. Right, right. And uh, it's hey, do you? Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Do you? No, uh, partly just because, though, having read it 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, <laughs> we old, um, <laughs> I don't remember this level of detail, but is Robert the nephew, are we to assume Miss Foley had a Robert nephew? Uh, and now Great question. Cougar is a facsimile thereof? Or, that or is does a, it, I mean, ultimately, it doesn't kind of matter other than just to convey the sinister nature of all the goings on. But right, right. It's a little confusing there for a minute. And I, I can I can sympathize with that because I don't have a grasp. I don't have a concrete answer to that. And I don't think the book gives it to us. So I think what you could simultaneously praise and indict that element for is that it ultimately doesn't matter. He has presented himself as her nephew, whether right. she had one that he looks like or whether he She's has bewitched yes exactly yeah and i can the, get behind that part of it was i just couldn't tell if i missed something <laughs> no sure 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 no 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 I, I also do not know exactly why miss foley is um sort of captured by that illusion but uh but she is and even more so than that i don't know if you caught because it's it, it it's um in the midst of a lot of other goings on did you catch uh the dwarf and the significance about the dwarf He's, uh, when, He's a yes. lightning rod salesman. Yes, that basically, the last time we saw the lightning rod salesman from the first chapter, um, he was being drawn in to the most beautiful girl in the world, frozen in ice. And they they mentioned while Charles Halloway, before his big poetic reflection, um, he saw in the shop that there was a a, a 
pool of water down there. But mm-hmm. uh, that's all the only reference point back to that sort of woman trapped in ice. So now we see the fate of the lightning rod salesman, that he is uh, now the dwarf in this carnival, which you can... Uh, which can lead you to believe that not only is this carnival interested in sort of doing things to people, but it's interested in sort of capturing people for its own, you know, to join its troop, um, if you will. Um, how far that desire extends and, and exactly to what extent they will go to, to make that happen, I will leave for the next segment of the book where that is a bit more uh, unpacked. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so the dwarf becomes the lightning rod salesman, and uh, it, it cannot— we can't leave uh, the discussion of this section of the book without tying things off to where finally the police officers, uh, well, I should say what leads us there. And then did you have any other specific things before we sort of dive I wanna, into I want to finish this off with uh, something wordy this way comes, but other than that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we'll, Mr. Electrico, let's do it. Yeah, so so we'll mention this and then we'll do something wordy this way comes and then uh, check into the monster house. So um, th- what happens is... Mr. Cougar passes himself as Robert, Miss Foley's nephew. Um, then Jim and Will uh, return to Miss Foley's house late at night. Jim, presumably to have a discussion with Robert and possibly like be drawn in by the, the party. Yes. Will to try to stop him. They get into a literal fist fight. Will picks a fight with Jim in an attempt to try to break the spell. And then what happens is Robert, who is really... Don't let these names throw you if you're not reading along. Mr. Cougar and Robert are the same character, but the book, once he transforms into Robert, the book refers to him frequently just as Robert. Um, so uh, then Robert frames them for burglary, and then they chase him. They chase after him. He runs back to the carnival, presumably to transform back into Mr. Cougar and be an imposing threat to these boys. He jumps on the carousel, begins to travel forward in time, and the boys, in an effort to try to stop the carousel, uh, sort of falsely short-circuit it and cause it to spin around uh, faster, faster and go in uh, just this wild uh, series of revolutions where it spins around countless times. They don't know. They lose track of how many times it spins around. But when it finally breaks down and stops, Mr. Cougar is not returned to his former self. He is this significantly older, uh, incalculably older, uh, mummified, shriveled up version of himself, hair, long, white, um, very, very much dead. And the boys call the police to try to come and sort of like, hey, here's what we've done. But when the police arrive, this is the first chance that we get to see the carnival in kind of its full uh, regalia. Um, not, you'll, you'll see more of that a little bit later, but, uh, they're all rehearsing their acts. And Mr. Dark, who is also the illustrated man, and he even corrects him. He says, you know, like, oh, the tattooed man. He's like, no, 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 the illustrated man. Yeah, There's a difference. You did, you did that to me last week. Yeah, I did. And, uh, <laughs> it's direct, is a direct reference to the book. Um, but, uh, so the illustrated man, his illustrations, his tattoos, they come to life. They move and they slither and they, they live on his skin rather than just being emblazoned there. And, um, so he is in his full glory. Uh, all of the other players are rehearsing their acts. And now the mummified, shriveled up Mr. Cougar is sitting upon, 
an electric chair and they are, uh, you know, Mr. Dark is referring to him as the new act. Now he's Mr. Electrico and they shoot him through with hundreds of thousands of volts and he comes back to life in this very sort of haunting in front of the police mm-hmm. officers and the boys yeah. and everything. It's one of the most sort of uh, frightening passages that we've seen uh, from my tastes in the book sure. so far. Um, and so he, he comes back to life. Um, and, uh, and then to the boy's horror that he is now back to life. And then, um, I found it particularly haunting that after all of that display, the police officers are just like, wow, what a trick. It's so wonderful. (laughs) You know, like this is so great. Um, but the boys know truly what sinister thing has, has befallen all of them. And then, um, they, Mr. Dark and the, uh, they ask the boys' names and the boys won't give him their real names. Uh, Jim passes himself off as Simon Smith and Will as Oliver Brown, um, because they, they don't want their real names sort of sure. thrust into it, which le- re- um, readers can kind of intuit becomes a a point a bit later uh, uh so you'll you'll see that will come back into play um but that's the narrative beats that's what sort of ties us off is that we see the power both in what mr cougar did in his transformation and also they watch him die and he comes back to life as mr electrico before we do something wordy this way comes i should mention that bradbury often told the story and i cannot uh remember all of the details of it but he often told the story that when he was about six years old i believe he was six or seven years old he went to a carnival and they had a man there that was called mr electrico and mr electrico when bradbury approached him touched his nose and felt this little you know static electricity but felt this little jolt felt this little electricity and when mr electrico touched him he said live forever and that that wow occurrence just um you know captivated bradbury's imagination yeah Yeah, and uh and so reverberates through so much of his work and uh so now we see mr electric whereas i um there's a about 30 year old maybe 35 year old u2 song called electric co Oh, so I think okay. All this, whenever I saw the name, I was like, "Oh, no, it's a U two song." I wonder yep. if there's a good. No, no resonance. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but I did want. I thought this is where you were going there with the names. Uh, one of the most haunting tags on the end of that section with the introduction of Mister Electrico is when they give their false names. He mm-hmm. dubs them instead, Mister Sickly and Mister Pale. Oh, and yes. That's that yes, was, yes. I don't know. There's something about that that was real ominous and absolutely you know it's interesting um i think and 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 i guess this is just the nature of of quality prose and literature itself uh ultimately you know if you were to describe the plot of this especially these days this was written in the 60s sure uh Uh, these days it's not that weird right you're like oh two kids Weird carnival, uh, wild goings on. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just the nature of the style that makes it last, I think. Yes. Cause, cause, right. and this is a weird, that's, that's a weird sort of statement, I guess, maybe, but I was thinking about like, have there been any worthwhile adaptations of this material? And before you answer that, my impulse would be to say probably not in part because so much of the richness of the text is that inner life coupled with the style. Right. Know? Right. And, and I will you say, are going to have a hard time conveying that. 
No, absolutely. And I will say what gave me so there is an adaptation of it that is um is decent from my memory of it. It's been several years since I've seen it. Uh I actually want to revisit it since, you know, because it's been so long and since we're rereading the book. Um but uh it is uh very much like plot based. So it it sure. abandons yes, a lot exactly. of the poetry and therefore um without intending to abandons a lot of the power of what you get right. in yes. in the prose. But And you just said much more much more lovely what I was trying to say yes, <laughs> is that I imagine when you strip it of the text itself, right, right, what you're left with is plot, which is fine, but not alluring. Right, you know? exactly. Now, one thing that gave me a bit of hope is I I am understanding that there is supposedly a new adaptation that was in development pre-COVID. I don't know the status of it, um, you know, in COVID world, but. Um, it was supposedly in development as a potential miniseries or like a limited series. And I thought, you know, if there's anything that gives me hope of maybe capturing the ominous nature of it, along with the poetic power, it is an adaptation like The Haunting of Hill House. And I don't think Flanagan mm-hmm. had anything mm-hmm. to do with yeah. this new yes. greenlit production. But, uh, but something like an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House that does have a tremendous right. amount of introspective you know, kind of thoughtfulness in its narrative while also being a, a sinister, macabre, very frightening plot. Uh, that gives me hope that maybe there is a possibility of a, of a, of a good adaptation on the horizon. Um, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll just have to. No, that's see. a good template because in my brain, I was asking, has there been a movie? But the movie version would fail, I think. Sure. It is that more thoughtful, paced, pensive, deliberate, meditative, introspective version that yes hill house delivers on that i could see working and actually sure accomplishing at least in some degree uh what the right what the, the text is actually after yep, um absolutely. well here we are read it uh something wordy this way comes a few <laughs> a few vocabulary words for the old uh old brain pen oh. um <laughs> uh three quite, of quite. three of them this time around old chap um, the number one is on page 106. Oh. Page 106, and it is the word skirled. <laughs> S-K-I-R-L-E-D. Skirled. Mm. A word I was unfamiliar with, but it means to play the bagpipe. Oh. Or the sound of a bagpipe. I okay. was unfamiliar with the word skirled. <laughs> Next, Mr. Lackey. This is... This one is, uh, it's, it's, it's a, is it a homonym? Uh, another word that sounds the same, but spelled differently, something like that. Um, mm. it's been a while since I've looked up my forms of speech, parts of speech. <laughs> uh, uh, this is S-E-R-E, pronounced seer. Oh. It's on page 108, and it's an adjective, or it has an adjective and a noun form. The adjective <laughs> is dry and withered. Dry mm. and withered, I imagine. Mr. Cougar and his Ford, you know, round and round we go on the old carousel, chap. Uh, that, that exactly. Was, was described as seer. Uh, last one, and this is a uh, multisyllabic entry here, just kind of rolls off the tongue uh, on page 103. It is agglomerative. That's right. Agglomerative. Starts with an A, ends with a tiv. Agglomerative. 
And it means simply gathered together into a cluster or a mass. Gathered wow. or to collect or gather into a cluster or a mass. So, you know, do not, in the age of COVID, uh, conduct yourselves agglomeratively. <laughs> do not, by any circumstance, group yourselves together, mayhap, as part of a Supreme Court sort of thing. Quite, where quite. A bunch of people of great import, at least in our country, are agglomeratively composing themselves mm, and getting mm-hmm. each other sick. I just did that. That, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, has been another installment of Something Wordy This Way Comes on the field. Oh my gosh. I love I that suddenly, like, that. I picture you in your, in your dinner jacket and smoking <laughs> yes. pipe, you know, it's oh, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> pull up the old vocabulary, chap. Oh man. Okay, so. uh, My future was decided for me when I was 12 years old. I went to a carnival and I saw a man, Mr. Electrico sitting in an electric chair, being electrocuted. And I stood below the platform, and he reached down with a flaming sword full of electricity, and he pointed at me and said, live forever. And I said, God, that's wonderful. How do you do that? So the next day I had to go to a funeral of my favorite uncle, and on the way back from the graveyard, I looked down at the seafront, I saw the carnival banners. I said, Mr. Electrico is waiting for me down there. I've got to run away from death and run toward life. So I ran away from the graveyard. I ran down the hill. And by God, Mr. Electrico was sitting outside the carnival tent waiting for me, it seemed. And I ran up to him. I didn't know what to say. I had a magic trick in my hand my pocket and I handed it out to Mr. Electrico. I said, can you teach me how to do this? So he took the trick and showed me how to do it. And then he looked in my face and he said, would you like to meet some of those strange people over there in that tent? I said, yes, I would. He said, come on. So he went over the tent and he hit it with his cane and he said, clean up your language. And he took me in and the first person I met was the illustrated man. The next day, I started to write, and I've been writing for 70 years because of that encounter with Mr. Electrico, which said, live forever. Now I've got a chance to do it. And with my books, they're gonna be around for the next 10 years, the next 100 years, and God knows, maybe on the planet Mars too. So, uh, the book. largest section of the book is is, is here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for this episode, we asked you to prepare and read all of part two. Something Wicked This Way Comes is not a terribly lengthy book 
in general. But this is the longest single section that we asked you to prepare for. And we are now going to discuss all of part two, which is entitled uh, Pursuits. And old Ray messes with the rhythm. I got used to some short chapters, and all of a sudden, there's like a few lengthy oh, ones. Like, oh my that's gosh, right, 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 which right. Is fine. <laughs> fine. Which is funny. Well, because still, like, lengthy, wait, this one's well, more than three pages. <laughs> I know, because because lengthy for him is still like probably seven or eight pages. You know, like it's yeah, still, it's yeah, still yeah. not massive. But um, okay, so uh, I want to yield uh, it, just as we sort of come up to them to any notes you might have. But I did mention, I did want to mention because last time we had posed the question and i couldn't recall from the text of whether or not uh the miss foley and the robert Robert nephew nephew. yeah oh i caught that yeah so so it pretty definitively answers that she's kind of bewitched so it's not that as in she does not have a robert no no and so yeah that she's just and 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 she catches herself by asking because uh, she refers to him as the nephew, not my nephew, and that catches her, and she's like, "Why did I say the nephew, not my nephew?" Um, and so I just thought that was—I just thought that was interesting. Um, what? Uh, what in the like? I guess I'm just would would want to ask because obviously this is a long section. There's quite a bit to talk about and get to. Uh, do you have any sort of sequential notes that you want to get through? Because I can just. I sort of wrote down things as I made my way through the book, so mine by yeah. proxy are are kind of in order. Uh, yeah. So so what's your what's Similarly your similarly here? Um, I did write basically all of chapter twenty eight. You know, I don't S- totally know what I mean by this right now, but so can I tell? Okay, so you your note says all of chapter twenty eight, right? right? Yes. Okay, so yeah. um, here's what here's what I wrote down. Um. But before we get before we get to what's that, happening here, yeah. Uh, so Go. yeah, let me set up a little bit. What so um, to keep, catch us up with the plot? Will and Jim, uh, you know, like argue about the carnival. It's more clear than ever that Jim's at least partially under the carnival's spell. They walk back by Miss Foley's house, and Miss Foley is there talking with Charles Halloway about what the boys have done. So we we don't see this scene but we find out that at that point will confessed to the burglary that they had been framed for even though they didn't commit mm-hmm. it he they just will confess to it in order to just end the thing and then his dad walks them both home so there is one thing that i wrote down so the dad walks him home and chapter 28 is the conversation that he and Will have mm, mm, when mm. they arrive back home. But uh, an absolutely stunning passage occurs after Charles has walked the boys home and discovered uh, he's discovered their respective ladders out their window that they climb up mm-hmm. and down. And Jim sneaks back into his while Charles and Will talk. And Charles knows that Will confessed to something he didn't really do. And Will says this, and this is a passage I wrote down, and then we'll get to chapter 28. Uh, Will says... I figured if we made a clean breast, they'd go easy. They did. At the same time, boy, Miss Foley's won, too, because now we're criminals. Nobody will believe what we say. And then Charles simply says back to him, I'll believe. And mm-hmm. I just think that's it's so lovely and wonderful. And and, uh, it, and, and it seems as if Will's just going to open up and tell him everything. you know. And then as he sort of begins... What I wrote down, and then I'm going to pivot over and let you share your thoughts sure. on chapter 28. So I wrote down chapter 28 is, and it is, is my very favorite chapter in this whole book. Um, when I think about the book, and it, it encapsulates so much about what I love about the book, it's all contained in chapter 28. What Will and Charles share on that porch talking about goodness and being good and life and death and what's missed and what's found, it's it's so achingly lovely 
And for me, it's the central hinge on which my affection for the book hangs. Um, I, I know this is a bold statement, but to me, some of those, some of those paragraphs are like inches shy of scripture. And I'm not, I'm not joking. Like they are, they are so beautiful. They're so powerful. Um, and, uh, I mean, I could read those four pages every morning as kind of a devotional. I'd probably be a better man for it. Um, the one passage that I did write down because I, I, I don't know if we've got time to just read the whole chapter. Um, I wrote down, uh, what the paragraph set them up before. It says it was a time to say much, but not all. It was a time after first discoveries, but not last ones. It was wanting to know everything and wanting to know nothing. It was the new sweetness of men starting to talk as they must talk. It was the possible bitterness of revelation. Um, and then I want to, I've talked a lot, so I want to yield to you, but I do have a section on 134 that I would read if you choose not to read it. 134, but are you, but you're, you've got a different edition than I I've do. I've got a so. different edition. The page numbers might right, be right. slightly different, but. <clears throat> but that's still in 28. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, no, in general, I just, I found this whole, as, as we're stating it currently to reiterate that I just found this whole, uh, chapter quite moving and a bit of an echo of those poetic first flourishes in the text but in this case it's actual character dynamics working themselves out which is just really lovely um did you just share the uh am i a good person no that's no that's that whole section Oh my gosh! Read whatever you want to read of it. Cause sure. I just, well, I, I, I love you know, it I'm so just much. kind of skimming over this chapter and finding all the things that are meaningful. And 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 will, uh, Dad, am I a good person? I think so. I know so. Yes, he says. Dad says, the son. Will that help when things get really rough? It'll help. Will it save me if I need saving? I mean, if I'm around bad people and there's no one else good around for miles, what then? It'll help. That's not good enough, Dad. Good is no guarantee for your body. It's mainly for peace of mind. Mm. And then, so... And then, what? Go ahead. No, I was just... Uh, I don't know if you were going to read more of that section. I was going to skip down a little bit further uh, to, you know, say some of what he said, but keep going with what you're... No, so, like, they have this whole sort of uh, summary, and then he says... Uh, or they, they go back and forth, and eventually Will asks, Dad, are you a good person? Yes. Yeah, that's powerful. And uh, and he says, to you and your mother, yes, I try, but no man's a hero to himself. I've lived with me a lifetime, Will. I know everything worth knowing about myself. Will says, and adding it all up? And Dad says, the sum, as they come and go, and I mostly sit very still and tight, yes, I'm all right. And then he asks this thing that, God, if ever it all hangs on it, Will says, then, Dad, why aren't you happy? And... We don't really have time, much as I would love to, to just go. <laughs> much through. like Dad says, uh, one thirty in the morning read is no place to start a <laughs> philosophical. <laughs> well, oh but but I do love that. I know you're about to defer from there, but you know, I, I think I think to me one of the most potent sections there is no man's a hero to himself. Mm-hmm. I've lived with me a lifetime, mm-hmm. and just like there's so much you could kind of extrapolate from that. No man's a hero to himself. Oh. Um, you know, I'm, I get torn on stuff like that these days though. I mean, I, I love it. I love the melancholic poetry of right, it. Right. Of course. Uh, but of I get course. torn about that idea. Um, but I do, if you scoot ahead about sure. two 
two pages there, um, Will says to him, Pa, don't sound so sad. Mm. Dad, me, I'm the original sad man. I read a book and it makes me sad. See a film, sad. Plays, they really work me over. Is there anything doesn't make you sad? One thing, he says, death. Boy, I should think that would. No, said Dad. Death makes everything else sad, but death itself only scares. If there wasn't death, all the other things wouldn't get tainted. Anyway, mm. I just really love that. Yeah, it's that it's run. it's really beautiful. And there's two pages there in between the section we read. Um, and I'll I'll summarize it, though I feel I'll do so poorly because it, it you really like if you're not reading this book. Like, you should check out from the library just to read. In my edition, it's pages 135 and 136, but just that whole segment in chapter 28 where he talks about how the people walking around with the brightest smiles are often carrying the load of sin, and the, and mm-hmm. it's the people who are who are burdened and have their head down. They're, they're the ones who are carrying goodness. And it's just, it's it's really, like you said, it's melancholic, it's, it's bitter, it's... Uh, not bitter as in like this like sure, cynical yeah. version, but there's just a, there's a pang to it. Uh, but it is so profoundly lovely at the same time. And, uh, and I just, I just love his whole reflection and talking about, you know, he is wrestling with himself and with, and with whether or not he is a good person and is he happy and, and all of these kinds of things. And it's just, uh, it, yeah, chapter 28 is again, I debated and even wrote down. I was like, if depending on time, I might read this whole chapter. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, make the listeners yeah, succumb to that. But um, or the but it's just, what <laughs> uh, I do but no, now. That said, my favorite chapter is thirty-one, and we could read that whole thing. Oh my gosh, thirty-one is so fantastic. That's the one that you were texting me about, right? That's no. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I wrote down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, sorry. I, I was still on the train of like poetry, but no, like right. cha- chapter thirty-one is the best. It's like it's like you're binging thirty-minute episodes of Cobra Kai, and then you find out yeah. like episode six is like two minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> chapter thirty-one literally says nothing much else happened all the rest of that night. That's end it. That's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the chapter. <laughs> I was like, it's so thank fantastic. you, Ray. That was just for me. <laughs> oh uh, my gosh. 32 is rough with Miss Foley, the child, the Miss Foley child. That was really. That is pretty rough. Um, heavy so, and sad. What? So we, we, we skipped over it just to keep pace with plot. We're not going to detail much about it, sure. but uh, there are a couple of chapters in there where the witch, the dust witch, hunts the yes. boys. And that that's good. very frightening. It's really uh, kind of harrowing. And uh, they managed to. Uh, dispel her with their, you know, sort of creative thinking. But, uh, but it's, it's clear that the carnival is hunting for these two boys. And just, you know, f- because we'll reference back to it in a couple of places later, I just didn't want to skip over. Did you catch, well, no, if you don't mention this in something wordy this way comes, I will. So I'll save it for that. Um, mm. but, uh, so yeah, the Miss Foley, she's a young child and she's blind and the, it's a really catch that really yeah she's blind she can't see okay. so um so she can't see and she's been made young so she is literally like trapped in a younger frame and she can't move around so that's why when the boys like reach out to touch her she like grabs a hold of them mm-hmm. really quick mm-hmm. it's because she can't she can't make her way around anymore and so it's it's really quite dreadful well i do love um you know we we are deep into plot at this point and you know it's no longer just the convention of oh this magic carousel or this bewitched right, or this right. wicked carousel can move people forward or backward in time i 
by love. I mean, it's, it's loathsome, but when they, by they, I mean, he, when Bradbury details out, so for instance, my page 148, but it's, um, this passage where Will is describing to Jim theorizing about her experience and says, Oh Jim, I bet she's pounded a dozen doors this morning, wanting help, scared people with her screaming and yelling, then run off, gave up and hid under that tree. Police probably looking for her now, but so what? It's just a wild girl crying and they'll lock her away and she'll go crazy. I actually underlined this sentence. That carnival boy, did they know how to punish you so you can't hit back? Mm. They just shake you up and change you so no one ever knows you again and let you run free. It's okay. Go ahead. Talk because folks are too scared of you to listen. Only we here, Jim. Only you and me. Anyway, point being just how they cast this vision of the implications of what this means. Right. It's not just, oh, no, this terrible freakish thing has happened. It's this is why this is super awful. You know, it's like you are lost. Your identity is no longer your own. Um, Yeah. No, absolutely. Anyway. Um, So the. the, I I would love to. I would love to throw out. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I would love to throw out. I think it's chapters both 34 and 35. Here's the thing for me personally, I, I would underline some stuff as I went, but also just made kind of summary, like, here's what happens in this chapter, partly from my right, memory. Right, 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 right. But I love the, the parade, kids in the great dad confrontation with the illustrated oh. man sequence. Oh, absolutely. That was fantastic. Like, no, so, yeah, so here's what, here's what my note was on specifically. I said, uh, if, if you're looking for, that one great chapter where plot and theme and poetry all intersect. Chapter thirty-five yes. might be it um, because of the tall stuff and the small stuff. Oh yeah, my yeah, yeah. gosh! Yeah, because so what is happening is the boys after the confrontation with the witch that we just briefly mentioned, they realize the carnival is hunting them. So Mr. Dark, the illustrated man, uh, Mr. Cougar, uh, whether he is Mr. Cougar or Robert the nephew or whatever, like the the, the carnival is after them. And so they realize that, so they hide in a sewer drain as the carnival passes by on the main street. And, and you know, little figures come by and, like, almost catch them, but then don't quite, and then pass by. Um, and then, uh, finally, Will's dad, barely even knowing why he's out there or what he's trying to find, he catches their attention. Because Will has called him and said, we're going to be hiding, but he didn't tell him where they're going to be or anything like that. Yeah. So, so then, when he catches their attention... What's so fantastic, like this is just a fantastically crafted moment of suspense because he catches their attention for just long enough to get like seeds of what's happening, but not to have yeah, like the full yeah. explanation, just right. little seeds. And and so they have barely a few seconds to explain before Mr. Dark, the illustrated man, comes and confronts Charles and he says he's looking for the boys to give them free rides on the carnival and he's got mm-hmm. their faces on his hands and what's so amazing to me like one of the reasons why charles halloway is one of my favorite characters in all of literature is he catches on to what's happening and he successfully like evades mr Mm -hmm. dark's little uh machinations and he puts mr dark off guard because mr dark's not used to especially like relatively feeble old men sort of putting him back on his heels he's not accustomed to that so then, um, and I also love, I don't know if you caught this specifically, but like Mr. Dark calls the witch over to try to like sniff for the boys. And when right. she comes over there, he blows cigar smoke. Mr. Yeah, Charles yeah, yeah. blows That's cigar great. smoke to like dispel her so she can't, uh, get at them. But, uh, but I did write down, this is what, this is what you were, uh, alluding to. So after that whole confrontation is done and, um, there's a section there before the confrontation happens when, 
Will's dad walks by, and Will and Jim are in the grate, and they start to call out for them. Jim starts to call out for him, but Will stops him. Will pauses because he says, no, 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 we're we're looking for like, a, you know, dad just seemed so small, just like another boy. And he said, we need a general, you know, like we need a champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he almost doesn't call out for him. Eventually they do catch each other's attention. But this is what I wrote down. After it's done and Charles has caused the, the carnival freaks to go away, then it says, and Will below, gazing up, eyes wet, mouth wide, thought, oh my gosh, why didn't I see it before? I'm getting a little choked up. He said, dad's tall. Dad's very tall indeed. And I just, hmm. it just chokes me up so much, you know, just because, and I will say this, I have mentioned this before about this book. We watch a lot of horror and specifically a lot of horror from like the 80s. It was a cliche for, and again, this was published in the 60s, but it was a cliche for the kids or the young ones or the rambunctious teens or whoever to catch wind of what's happening run to tell fill-in-the-blank authority figure, a parent, a sheriff, a whoever, and then, of course, like, you know what? I'm going to lock you up because you're disturbing my peace, you know, or whatever, or or get out of here. You're always causing trouble or whatever. And for them to dismiss them, something wicked this way comes. I'm sure there are others like this, but something wicked this way comes is the main story that I think of where the children present and reach out to the authority figure for some help, and he's instantly in on the fight. Like, he's just... He, yeah. he immediately takes hold of the mantle. He's protective. He's, we'll get to another passage a little bit later that I wrote down, but like he's in. He's, he's going to help. And I just find that so, I don't know what it is that touches my heart about that, but there is maybe not to get well, too, too deep too quick, but maybe it's a bit of a longing. Maybe it's a bit of a, you know, like, don't we long for that to be the case for us to say this unbelievable thing and to have somebody in authority look back and say, I believe you. I believe you, you know? Well, I think one of the reasons, um, and I'm about to dance across some thematic ideas. Sure. Starting sure. where you're at and scattered over the next chapter or two. But I will point you to the very end of chapter 38. Um, chapter 38 is when Will and Jim tell him about all of their experiences. Right. This is right. in the library, I think. Yeah. yeah they meet um, at the library after the whole sewer grate incident. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, uh, at some point, similarly as what you referenced earlier, I've got that it's on page 175. Okay. There is. Um, they tell him all the story. And for a long moment, Will's father sat staring blinding into the center of the table. Then his lips moved. Jim, Will, I believe. Mm. The boys sank in their chairs. All of it? All. Will wiped his eyes. Boy, I'm going to start bawling. Now, what that my main thing I want to reference though is at the end of uh that chapter, literally the you know, like four lines from the bottom, if you've got that handy at home in your or at your desks, get out your textbook. Um w- uh, uh Charles says to them, Why am I here at all? Oh, can a, I stop a you? Of, a bit of a yeah, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I'm going to let you read the last couple of lines. I wrote a couple of I, I notated a couple of things before those last couple of lines. So we'll I'm going to do read it. Yeah, because I, I just wanted to introduce a thematic idea that I think you're that yes. was going to partner with what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just read the build up to that. It says because he's this is Charles speaking and he says of himself, he says, Charles William Holloway, nothing extraordinary about me, except I'm 54, which is always extraordinary to the man inside it. 
Born mm-hmm. in Sweetwater, lived in Chicago, survived in New York, brooded in Detroit, floundered in a lot of places, arrived here late, skipping a few sentences. Then in the middle of all the running away, which I called travel, in my 39th year, your mother fixed me with one glance, been here ever since. And then a little bit later, he says, is this my last stop? Chances are. And then you pick up from there. He says, why am I here at all right now? It seems to help you. Uh, yes. Very late in the game to help you. Oh my gosh. And there's, so, so what I want to bring in here and, and will sort of be my, uh, to borrow an image from the book, my flight balloon out into the thematic over the thematic waters for later is, um, this thing that keeps coming up to me in some of these works like it that we've covered in four years, but initially referenced on it chapter one's conversation of how we burden our children to save us. And one of the reasons I love the role of Charles so much and, and, and kind of want to emulate in many ways, Mm -hmm. his spirit is it is a partnering. It is a joining. It is, as if I can lean into it in 39 and 40, uh, it is the common cause mm. that he enjoins himself to. It is not uh, authority and submissive. It is not even certain on a certain level, parent and child, though it is that and that matters to the dynamic. It's more partnering in the the mission at hand, the the need at hand. Um, and I think to me, that's just lovely. And, and, and in many ways, our, uh, the, the appropriate expression of how we are meant to conduct ourselves in relationship to those who are younger than us generally and to our children specifically. No, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. So no, that's, uh, yeah. You saying, and we'll, you know, next week's episode is entirely yeah. about the book, the last section of the book and, uh, its thematics. So, so, you know, there'll be more substantive conversation, uh, unpacking that further, but you said something just in passing and God, it's like, it's simultaneously convicting and inspiring to read about Charles Halloway. And I'm like, God, can I be that man when I'm 54? Like, can, can, can that be the spirit that I carry with me where I'm like, that is, that is how I want to be in the world, you know, thoughtful. As your friend, the good news I can share with you is the answer to that is yes. And it doesn't have to be at 54, my friend. No, that's um, absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, and no, no, encouraging no. you kind of cut you off there, but, um, there's just a whole lot to kind of, a whole lot of ground to cover here. I do want to, I just referenced this, but I'm looking at, uh, this is in chapter 39. Mm. Um, there's a bunch in here. Um, what is the, is this him? Oh, he's still talking to Will. Maybe just the two of them. No, it's all yeah, three of them. Still. And okay. This is, this is, is the latter the part of, of the library. Yeah. Right, right, right. So this is before they separate in the library. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're musing on how Will specifically is musing. He says, I never knew you could talk. <laughs> <laughs> and Charles says, you should hear me here late nights. Nothing but talk. Yes. You should have heard. I should have said more to you. Any day you name in the past. Hell, where was I? Leading up to love, I think. Which is just a beautiful phrase. Um, then this is more internal monologue on his part. What could he say that might make sense to them? Could he say love was, above all, common cause, shared experience? That was the vital cement, wasn't it? 
I mean, you can kind of just end the thematic conversation there, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and just give me yeah, plot right. for the rest of the book. It's like, right, right, right you know, right. above all, to define it this way, love is common cause and shared experience. And I just mm. think that's a, a, a magical truth with a capital T kind of statement. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, you referenced scripture a minute ago. I mean, to me, that's the spirit of scripture. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so we are left after those absolutely beautiful passages. I'll just mention a couple of things plot wise. Uh, and then that's, and then that, that'll kind of wrap us up unless you've got something more before something wordy this way comes. Um, so I did want to mention, because I think the, uh, in chapter 37, it's, it's only a hit and run thing. Uh, we actually get the line where Charles remembers the Shakespearean quote by the pricking of my thumbs, mm, yeah, something yeah. wicked this way comes. But what I love is after it, he's reflecting on that passage and I love the power of it just as so vague yet so immense. And, and mm. I, you know, that, that is the feeling we get of this like sort of ominous evil, you know, something wicked this way comes so vague yet so immense. It's, it's in, yeah. indefinable and yet overwhelming. Um, so then what happens in one of the like this section has some of the fright passages in it. So like the ostensibly this is though poetics bring it a little out of the pure raw terror. This is a horror book. It's it's a it's a fear book. It's a monster book. And uh, after these two idyllic very inspiring reflective chapters where Charles is waxing poetic to his son and his son's friend. Um, then somebody comes into the library and I don't know about you, but like as many times as I've read this story, that moment still just gives me chills where like the, the, they enter, uh, Mr. Dark enters the library and Charles yeah. just looks over and whispers to the boys hide. And then like, yeah. he just sits and waits and it's just, Ooh, it's really, <laughs> I'm Ooh. so excited for our conversation next week. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be so great. Um, so, so then basically, and you know, I'm, I'm going to just skim through a couple of plot details sure. here for the sake of, you know, people trying to keep pace without actually reading the book, which please God read this book. Um, but Mr. Dark confronts Charles, tempts him with, you know, making him younger. Uh, Charles, uh, I, I, man, when he, he sees the Bible, Mr. Dark sees the Bible and he says, I've, and I've had, he says, I've had passages read at me. I'm just like, oh man, that's, yeah, that's a conversation starter right there. We won't have it now. But, and then he like takes the Bible and throws it in the garbage, which if there's anything that could cement his ominous, overwhelming you know, power uh, as a visual metaphor. It's, it's the idea of, Oh no, your, your, your totem, your text of scripture here is no threat to me. And he just throws it in the garbage. Um, he, Charles tries to start a fight with him to stop him from capturing the boys and has his hands, uh, has his hand just smashed and crushed, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely dreadful. Um, but then, uh, after Mr. Dark captures the boys, and I don't know if you got this again, I've read this book probably three or four times and when he's turning the boys into wax, that whole description. Yeah, well, that's, is that the witch sewing them shut? Yeah. Because I wrote that Ooh. as the scare. Yeah, that I, I put that. Terrifying. In, you know, it's hard to organize a book around our typical sort of touch points. But yeah, I mean, I wrote the witch sewing them shut would be a, a scare most definitively. Oh, absolutely. And, it's, it's and partly because it's a little kind of confusing what's going on exactly. You just, right. it is otherworldly and malevolent. And that's mm-hmm. kind of enough <laughs> yeah, to be oh, like, oh, this is yeah. freaky and I don't totally get it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. Because even then, not to jump ahead next week, even then, 
the sort of quote unquote, I'm using this word invisibility of them once they're back at the carnival was also a little, another layer of like, what is, I can't totally tell what's happened with them. So, so yeah, again, some of this is for next section, but basically what's happened is he has turned them into wax figures. So the description you get of the witch, like sewing them up is their experience of their senses shutting off as they are basically encased in a kind of wax. And then that allows Mr. Dark to, in a way, puppeteer them, which right. is why uh, totally later. Totally got that, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, just they're super ominous. Yeah, all I meant was it was just hard to tell literally what is happening to them. The figurative nature, right. the the ominous nature, his manipulation of them, all that was very clear. It was just more gotcha. like, yeah, yeah. if I were watching this right now, I don't know what I'm trying to conjure visually. What I'm seeing. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so before we leave it, just for the sake of, you know, the final confrontation with, between Witch and Charles, did you remember in the book whether or not Charles survives? Did you did you remember at this point no, reading it? No, no, no. I mean, in truth, I I having now finished the text, remember nothing other than just two boys carnival. Carnival kind of thing. You know, like so, like I, I didn't know the plot. I couldn't recall the plot at all. Gotcha. So um obviously the witch is trying to stop Charles's heart, which is what Mr. Dark yes. threatened him with. Right. And um did you I, I I'm asking a question about your experience as you were reading that. Did you have a feeling that Charles would survive? Did you have a feeling that Charles would die right here and that, that, that um, this would be where things would go? Uh, I, I don't know. I think I was reading it a little more of just learning than of mm, feeling, mm. you know, the, the poetic passages contribute to the feeling, but it was more just like, huh, I wonder if he's going to die. That feels a little uh, uh, aggressive for right, sure. what right, right, feels right. like the heart of the text, but who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> so right, right. Yeah. I, I really didn't know what to expect. I knew what was happening, um, but didn't know what the result would be. Now, correct me right. if I'm wrong, to kind of tie off that scene, am I, to understand correctly, he he laughs her out of the library. Like, like it is the, yeah. it is the noise, the sound, not noise as in cacophonous, but sound as in ebullience, uh, mm-hmm. pouring forth joy, like that, sound coming from him is what causes her to flee yes he chuckles almost reactionarily like he just he just sort of a chuckle just sort of comes out but he registers cognitively that it pauses her so she's working her magic her witchcraft and then when he chuckles, he notices that it gives her pause. And so when he notices that, then he becomes much more deliberate about it and lets the laughter pour forth, which she can't tolerate. Her her kind right. can't tolerate. <laughs> that so. happens to me sometimes when I'm going nuts and people are like, oh, that guy is too much. <laughs> I'm going to leave now. <laughs> we have some college peers who can vouch for that statement. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's um, funny. So, um, okay, so you want to uh, close us off with uh, something wordy this way comes if you have any why yes my friend Reed it is time once more for something wordy this way comes today are three words from part two of Ray Bradbury's something wicked this way comes Uh, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this bear with me it's Scrafito. <laughs> Scrafito. I, I saw this word, friend, and I was like, what in the world is Scrafito? I see graffiti in there, or graffito. I had never heard of Scrafito. Uh, but it is a 
technique of ornamentation which a surface layer of paint plaster slip is incised to reveal a ground of contrasting color so basically just some sort of artistic exercise so that is (laughs) ladies and gentlemen scrafito our next word on the something wordy this way comes for part two of ray bradbury's classic novel is recumbent recumbent Hmm. now recumbent has an adjective form and a noun form its adjective form is lying down reclining slash leaning much like the old um uh whose line is it anyway sit stand and lean improv game oh what a fun (laughs) fun and entertainment that is chap uh its noun form is oh just a recumbent person animal or plant so if you're lying down you are a recumbent person. So that is the second word on something wordy. This way comes from pass part two of Bradbury's book. The last word read oh is boy. vellum. <laughs> vellum. V-E-L-L-U-M. I stumbled on this word and I thought, well, what is that? Vellum <laughs> is a noun. It, it was also an adjective form, but we'll ignore that one for now for time's sake. Uh, a noun, a calf skin, lamb skin, or kid skin, which I assume is referring to the goat variety, the not goat of the for child the- sort, <laughs> uh, treated for use as a writing surface or a manuscript or the like, a texture of paper or cloth resembling vellum so i imagine this word appeared when our characters were hided out in the library so vellum has a literary connotation a printing connotation so that read has been this week's segment of something wordy this way comes and what a wonderful segment this has grown into this is so wonderful i will say that on page 155 i wrote down uh tell me friend the the far less um high-minded uh but still terribly delightful exclamation crime and netly crime <laughs> trigger put that pea shooter down <laughs> well yes oh i was looking for words i was unfamiliar with that one i stumbled True. on and i thought about writing down old boy oh, and i was like but yeah. i can reference that one from the disney robin hood movie from that's true that's true the early 80s Something like that. Uh, something like that, I think. Something I think like that. Okay. So, all right. Now back with you. The earth came out of the sun, took a billion years to cool, the rains fell, the first primitive plants came up, the the ponds of scum created amoeba-like creatures, but there was no life here. Lightning struck the chemistry of the world. The inanimate minerals decided to live. How come? How come? We don't know. We don't know. It just, it just happened. That's not much of an explanation, is it? Huh? It just happened? That's really scientific, is it? That's what the scientists say. It just happened. Well, hell, give me some lightning. I'll go make my own life. <laughs> so, so, the thing is, there's room to believe it all. Because you are the inhabitors of a miraculous world. Why have we been put here? The question is asked 
time and again. Shall I give you the answer? Have you been waiting for the answer? I've got it for you, okay? There's no use having a universe and billions of stars. I've done shows for the Smithsonian Planetarium. And you look at pictures of star systems billions of light years away, huh? There's no end to the universe. It goes on forever. They talk about the Big Bang. I got into a lot of problems with the Smithsonian. I wrote a program for the planetarium. And I wrote a 30-page program, and they sent back 28 pages of criticism. <laughs> Just like most editors, huh? And I called them, I said, what's the problem? They said, well, uh, you got stuff in here that's not very scientific. I said, what do you want to do? You want to go back to boring people? I've been in your planetarium. And, and 10 minutes into the program, everyone's snoring, huh? You, I said, shall I tell you what's wrong with your planetarium? You are teaching when you should be preaching. You cannot teach with the planetarium. You've got to preach. Let me raise my voice for you and stand back. And I'll wake people up and make them care about being alive in this universe. So, my experience, the answer to the question I posed a few minutes ago, what are we doing here? There's no use having a universe, is there? There's no use having a billion stars. There's no use having a planet Earth if there isn't someone here to see it. You are the audience. You are here to witness and celebrate. To witness and celebrate. And you got a lot to see and a lot to celebrate. That's your business. You put it in your work. You put it in your stories. Otherwise, get the hell out and, and get out of our way and let us live, huh? Which, if you're going to be a cynic, if you're going to be a, a pessimist, you, there's no hope for you. Huh? I can't help you. You've got to help yourself. But we are here as an audience. God cries out to be saved. Whatever God is, we have, we have various names. We make it much too anthropomorphic. That's not what it's all about. Creation, the universe, Jehovah, you name it. Huh? It's all mysterious. But we are here to be the audience to the miraculous. Huh? We are privileged to, but you're going to be alive once. You're never coming back. Think of that. You've got one chance to pay back. You owe, you owe to the universe. The burden of proof is in your lap and in your writing, and you've got to pay back. I demand it. You, know, you get the hell out of here and do that, and you're going to have a good life. What in hell was the question? Well... <laughs> 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 did you enjoy that did you like that a little, I did. A little bit i did that was a really Pretty cute good. it was it was a a return of your recurring character from something yeah. woody this way comes <laughs> and uh i think it'd lean in <laughs> just lean in yeah there's there's lean in and there's camp out that's what we're gonna <laughs> do <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. I've bought property here. And 
plan to set up residence indefinitely. My Montgolfia has landed me here. Oh, wow. The real estate is quite nice. Oh, my goodness. We've got we've got a lot of literature to get to read, but that is true. We've got a little game I wanted to play. <laughs> um, I'm so intimidated. I'm changing these I, in real time. I'm just like, oh, are you, wait, wait, yes, wait. good. I'm, I'm glad it's not just me who does that. Um, <clears throat> though I am pretty set on this one. It's just MCU entries for me. Um, ah, okay. And all the all other lists ever. But uh, <laughs> we have talked in our previous something wicked segments about you know. Uh, the previous uh, filmed version, which I've not seen. I'm pretty sure you've seen, but I, I didn't look at a cast list or anything like that. And so the game for this episode was cast your version of something wicked. This way comes. Oh my um, gosh. If it were made today, if it were. Yes. 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 If, yeah. It's funny you say that because I actually um, peek behind the curtain I, I batted this out to read a couple of days ago, even suggesting, I don't know if I've got time for this, but it would be fun to. And then today started just working on it and then got really excited by it. And it was like, Hey, <laughs> let's do this. So I didn't, in the spirit of not wanting to put too much pressure on you, I didn't give you any strict rules other sure. than just right, cast right, right, it. Right. So I am glad you went because I, I did abide. Hey, if this were, this, if I were making this today, here's who I would populate this cast and, and production team. I made with. it with only, I made this version with only living, working actors who yes. are, mm-hmm. who are at least at, as of the last year or so, are contemporary to the ages they would need to be to play these parts. So, yes. Wonderful. Well, I, I came up with this idea. Do you have any desire of how you want to, to play? Like, well, so do you want to go by, by character? Do you want to go start with production team? Because you challenged me with that, and I did end up doing it. One of oh, you did? Okay, okay. So uh, why don't we start with production team? Production team is usually the first that that is announced. Um, so yes, why don't we why don't we start with production? Okay. All right. So me go first. Me go first. Okay. Sure. Well, I I there was there was no question. It seems a bit. It seems a bit obvious, seems a bit on the nose, particularly given recent conversations and whatever, but um, his ability to successfully capture the spirit of a thing and adapt it in really inventive ways made the obvious shoe-in director for this Mike Flanagan. So mm-hmm. so my, my choice- obvious. Yeah. So, so my choice for it would be Mike Flanagan, who frequently adapts scripts himself- but because I so desperately wanted to include other sort of X factors into it, I did pick a different screenwriter. So I'll pivot to you. Who is mm-hmm. your Same here. who is your director? Um, I did pick Flanagan. I, I forgot to notate for me. This is this does not exist as a feature film. It is a long form. You know, oh, interesting. As as few as six, as many as eight or ten episodes. I just don't think the. I think you lose a lot of what is possible to really get at the heart of it if it's confined to a feature length for me. Sure. So sure. this is my Understood. my feature length. And so in that spirit, I did also choose Flanagan. Um, but as you alluded, I have still not started Bly Manor, uh, even though that conversation was a week ago in listener time. <laughs> um, I, needed, I, needed to, I needed to mix up 
Flanagan a little bit. I needed to, okay. I, I wanted, I wanted what Flanagan brings in tone and introspection decoupled from his tendencies right now for the long form versions okay. at least. So okay. yeah. surprising. Also, no one. Damon Lindelof is my writer. Um, wow that's awesome because and and ultimately you know maybe showrunner yeah maybe that's it maybe that's it's a co it's a co-pro with old damon and, <laughs> and flanagan. flanagan um lindelof is a good one i yeah well yeah. because part of that is you're gonna like the thought that went into this for a novel for a source material that is so rooted in parallel energy and life mm-hmm. lindelof is so good at like I, I don't know how they would craft it from a composition standpoint sure you know, sure, I, sure the sure. intention would not be great mystery per se but if you're doing the serialized television version you could do okay this episode focuses on dark this episode focuses on the witch this episode focuses on charles you know whatever sure. you could, right, right, you right, could populate right. the, the lightning rod salesman mm, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's so many places you can go right and right. lindelof is great at character perspective sure sure, um, sure sure and something he did with watchmen is going to come back into play in a minute uh that i think lends my mine yeah so so my creative team is flanagan directing all of them lindelof and whatever writing team he assembles uh writing it oh man that so that's wonderful i am kind of wishing that i had thought of lindelof because i think that's a really good call i actually went with I would love to see that their their tones are quite different, but I think they would be comparable. I was actually not visualizing long form storytelling. I was visualizing a la Doctor Sleep, perhaps a three hour mm. singular piece, but 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 lengthy enough that we can get into the complexities of theme and character and whatever. And I would love to see how the pair of these people would work together. I picked Jeff Nichols to Oh, um, to, to, I do like that one. That's a sexy figure. <laughs> so, so I picked him to adapt the script and Flanagan to ultimately direct the piece. So that's what that's what I did. I, yeah, I, I'm done with that. Either version. I I'm not gonna let go yet of my I want a long form version, mm. but I'm on board with Jeff Nichols would be a great would be a great choice to yeah, take a absolutely script absolutely. Um, so I. Because some of mine I want to hold till closer to the end, are you okay with me going in the order I'd like? Like I'll yeah. say a character yeah. and you throw out, unless you've yes. got some real dark horses you want to uh, extrapolate. No, no, no. Why don't we? Why don't we do that? Why don't you lead it? Lead the charge on who you cast? Because I also had some questions. Obviously, all of the major characters I have a cast member for, but I don't know how deep. No, I think that's went- fair. I'll tell you who I did. Okay, I did Will, Jim, of course. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, uh, Charles, sure, Cougar, Dark, mm-hmm. and the Witch. That's all you did. Is who I choose? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's that is okay. something we should have determined betwixt sure. ourselves. <laughs> I cast. I, I cast the whole book. Wow. I, ca- okay. I cast everybody. So, well, so, then why don't you run off a few that aren't on that list? I'll run. Off, I'll run off my supporting players. And if you say people that are on my list, I am going to unplug my microphone <laughs> and cuss loudly. Okay. Or so that we don't run into that. Should we do the mutual characters first? Um, no, let me let me get some of my supported okay. players out of the way. Oh, All right. So, no, da, da, da. okay. So, um, a couple of just supporting players. Uh, I wanted to uh, just throw out a couple of people that I like. 
that um, uh, c- can have a place here. So I put Mrs., uh, Mr. Cressetti. I put uh, uh-huh. Patrick Wilson in the role just because it's okay. a, it's a small role, but yep. I just wanted I wanted Patrick Wilson. Yeah, yeah, he's the barber. Um, the skeleton at the carnival would of course yep. be played by Doug Jones, um, and okay. so uh, Mrs. Nightshade, Jim's mom. Um, mm-hmm. I picked Helena Bonham Carter because I feel mm-hmm. like she can okay. carry a kind of a, a, a melancholy, yep. a, a sort of a, a, a darkness, but also uh, can be genteel and tender. Um, something that I don't know if you're prepared for. Uh-oh. I went blind color casting. And okay. I have cast people of color in the roles of Will and Mrs. Holloway. And so. Okay, well. So, okay, well, so I'm not, about I'm not talking about Will, right? Yet. Okay, but but to mention that Mrs. Holloway is actually Gabrielle Union from uh, okay, from right. like L.A.'s finest most recently. But Bring It On is is the main thing yeah. that I know her from. But um, so that is your favorite movie, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so uh, so I mentioned that interesting. Um, and then I also have a cast member for Tom Fury, uh, mm-hmm. the lightning rod salesman. I, I got to have, again, I'm just picking people that I want to see yeah, in things. do it. Um, Why? Yeah. Brendan Gleeson is, hey, hey. is yeah. my Tom Fury, uh, the lightning rod salesman. Tom Fury. Yes. Um, and so, Nick Fury's brother. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so I don't think you did this based on your, um, I, I don't think you cast Nephew Robert, did you? Uh as an asterisk, but you can go ahead. Oh no 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 no! So we'll we'll wait when we talk about Cougar. We'll do, we'll do that. So, okay. um, and so then the the only other person was again just just throwing people that I like into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also put uh, Mr. Tetley in there, and um, I put um Sterling K. Brown in there just because I wanted him nice. to. I wanted. I just wanted him to show up. So this is so, exciting. So I just put. So yeah. So I just put. Again, these are just townspeople. They have like two sure. scenes each. But I was just like, I really like them, and I want to see yeah. their work. It's like I, Sterling K. Brown being in a Swedish countryside in prison too. It's like, how did he get there? That doesn't really make any understand. sense. But whatever. Well, the yeah. other person that the other person I thought about because I was really trying to give an eye as as I believe people should towards like you know diversity and casting whatever. So between Sterling K. Brown, I also thought of Daniel Day Kim showing up as Mr. Tetley nice. just you know again okay. just to kind of remind me what is I, I remember the name Tetley and he's in the he's town the cigar scene, shop but, owner okay, okay, so yep. yeah anyway so okay. that's all my supporting players everything else would be cool your folks well so. then let me do my Will and Jim will you let me do that because yeah, right there's something about one of these that will speak to what you're after here so um, Will was one of the easier ones for me um mainly because I just needed youthful kid without who, who so I, Jacob Tremblay is who I went with for Will uh, keeping it in the Flanagan wheelhouse. Is that what you did? No, 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 no. Oh, oh okay. I thought Jacob, you had that look of like, yeah, what Jason, Jacob Tremblay is my nephew, Robert. Interesting. Cause, cause okay. I wanted, I, he can bring a flavor of sort of ominous <laughs> sort of, malevolence okay. to it that i think so, you're gonna so. love my nephew robert so okay. so anyway so yeah my, no, my nephew great. robert is jacob tremblay so. okay so i've got jacob as will okay um now my big swerve right now one of the two big swerves is so kind of in the spirit of what you're after with um the holloways perhaps with charles even um, I, I read this and I read this through my 41 year old 2020 occupying lens. And I was like, I need some, I need 
some non-white people in this book. Sure. Yeah. And so I'll tell you who I cast and then I'll tell you why that mattered to me. Um, and it'll maybe either make you say, Nathan, you're dumb. And this is for Jim. Yes. This is for Jim. Make you say, Nathan, that's interesting. Um, I went with an actor named Khalil Harris, Khalil as Jim. Um, Khalil is in the only thing I've seen him in, uh, but I think he's also in the second Goosebumps film, which I have not seen, hmm. uh, is in the film or in the miniseries by Ava DuVarnay, When They See Us. Um, oh. Lovely kid, hell of a little actor that that if you haven't seen When They See Us, it's it'll it'll really mess you up, but it's really beautiful. Hmm. Um, so this gets into when, when I mentioned a minute ago about Lindelof and what he did in Watchmen and why. Uh, if you if you i know you did read but if a if a listener hasn't seen watchmen uh because someone might say nathan you're importing things onto the text that aren't there originally well he kind of did that as well with watchmen he took the heartbeat of an original theme and and overlaid it and it all kind of worked together now Mm. i'm not as smart as damon lindelof in constructing these types of storytelling so i'm just going to give you the seeds of what i've got sure right 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 because here's something that really it doesn't bother me about the text of something wicked this way comes but the more i sat with it the more i'm like no here's your hook um i don't right now and maybe you can correct me on this but for the purpose of the game don't um I don't see Jim's reason for being so compelled to go after the carousel. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Their uh, Will and Charles's continued concern for how driven he is to go to this. To me, in story, there isn't a ton of established motive other than the simple notion of its malevolence is alluring. Yeah. Sort of. And that he as a personality is kind of a wild card, like typically. Right. That, yeah. And to me, that isn't quite interesting enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I understand. And, yeah. and to me, where I went with this, and let me see how I wrote this down. Um, so the starting point for this choice was feeling like the character of Jim lacks motivation for being so compelled by the carnival okay. to escape. What if he's a black kid mm. in this working class, idyllic white town? No father for reasons we're not really given. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm hmm. All he sees are people not in my version and in the text. All he sees are people not like him. Then this carnival comes to town mm-hmm. and dark starts offering a place of belonging amongst the freaks and the weirdos, which he probably feels like. So, so you have this kind of hook of why he's drawn. Sure. But right. it's rooted to this friendship with will mm. and the challenge that comes. So, so yeah, to me, it really became this interesting re-motivation now there's a world where you could say okay well are are is what you're after in this idea betraying what become the themes of the book and i don't know that it does i think you can especially in a long form version you can have multiple themes kind of toggling between communicating to each other right 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 yes right and i mean this is me speaking about an experience i don't understand but it started to make me ask the question okay what about the carousel is compelling to this gym mm. in other words what is he trying to skip past and sure, i don't know the right. answer to that question totally mm, mm-hmm. there's, there's there's a lot of socio sociological elements that you could explore there that are interesting to me so sure. for me it meant a lot okay if i'm going to diversify this cast and especially the main cast he seems the obvious choice yeah to me. no that's great i have not seen yet uh when they see us though i i, I want to i'm remiss 
<clears throat> you know, I, I should have gotten to it long before now. Um, no, I, I like that logic. In fact, and before I get into this, I just neglected to mention it in my um, run of supporting characters. I had also uh-huh. cast Miss Foley. Uh, I wanted Mary Steenburgen to be Miss Foley. I, um, I like it. So, um, but so I went uh, thinking along similar lines, but for different reasons. I latched on to a different sort of uh, concept oh, yeah. behind the the diversity. So I'll mention Jim first because he's not going to be like in the same way that you mentioned Will and then, Mm -hmm. you know, why Jim's less integral to your choice. Yes. Um, So for Jim, uh, I went with Noah Jupe, who is. uh, Ah, Yeah. Yes. He was on my short list for one of them. Um, So I think he would do a fantastic job uh, as as Jim Nightshade. Uh, We've seen his work in, you know, most specifically a quiet place is probably where a lot of people know him from. I haven't seen honey boy yet, but I hear, I I hear he's, he's great in that. Um, but I do like him particularly in a quiet place. So yeah, this was, this whole game is making me very happy. (laughs) (laughs) So the hook that I went on, and as I mentioned before, uh, I, I cast Gabrielle union as Mrs. Halloway. Now she's, she's a more youthful actor. Um, I, I believe in the real, she's in her forties, but she's, you know, she's beautiful and she's, uh, got a youthfulness to her. Um, and I thought it might be really interesting if what I latched onto was because my, my Charles Halloway, who I won't name yet, but my Charles Halloway is a white man. Mm -hmm. And I thought it might be really interesting to have that be kind of similar to where you were. Yeah, stretching with okay in this town they are a uh a, a an interracial Outside couple the norm. Yep. you know and and also i latched on to beyond just the age difference what else is separating sure sure uh, uh will yeah. and his father and i thought well if they if they have differing experiences of navigating right. the world around them that would also and i also thought there might be some ways with creative invention to have some really lovely things to say about reconciling that and about you know just just speaking into that with so many of charles's reflections on you know goodness and sadness and all of these kind of things i was like that i thought that might be might be really nice so um i went with i don't know if you know this name or not because i don't know if you watch this show but i went with lonnie chavis um, he is most known for, he's the young version of a character named Randall in This Is Us. Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so This Is okay. Us is a story that kind of, a TV show yes. that kind of bounces around yes. in time. Okay. And, I can visualize him. Yeah, yeah. And he plays the young version of Randall. Does an outstanding of job. Of Sterling K. Brown's character. Of Sterling K. Brown's right, character. Right. Yeah. So does an outstanding, uh, job. He has, cause I also really wanted, I thought about making Jim, uh, a, a, a person of color. And then, uh, again, I couldn't find the hook you did. It's really yeah. enlivening to hear your hook because I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It didn't click in my imagination that way. So then when it did click of like, oh, man, if it was Will and if it was, you know, this is part of why he's having trouble connecting with his father. Um, right. So And I thought Lonnie Chavis just brings such a, at least in the only thing I have seen him in that I'm aware of is This Is Us. But mm-hmm. in This Is Us, he brings a simultaneous sense of of anger and goodness like like a gentleness but also like a sort of a, a bubbling sure. frustration underneath the surface that I thought might bring some really interesting things to the character of Will. So that's why I picked Lonnie Chavis for for my Will. 
Are you caught up on that show? I'm not. But. No, we we haven't watched the last season, and I think I don't know when the new season is airing because I don't know if it finished yeah, filming I, before COVID I think or whatever. We finished like. season one, and that was about it. I mean, we I we it. are yeah, we watched season two. Uh, we have not started, or actually, I think we watched two and three, but have not started whatever the last season that finished was. We haven't started that season yet. But anyway, okay. All right. So, who are you going to um, next? Let me throw what would be my only real supporting character on here, mm. uh, and that's the witch. Okay, um, sure. And then we can get into Dark Cougar and Holloway. I um, have two choices for the witch. Depending on okay. <laughs> depending on who you cast, I'm probably going to pivot one or another. Well, um, so I I kind of worked hard on this a little bit, and you know, you listed a bunch of support, which is great. I think to me, her, the amount of screen time she has in the book, I was like, okay, it feels like it makes sense to, to centralize a casting choice here. I went with the the actor Robin Niven, who was hmm. the grandmother in Relic. I have not seen that. Okay. Okay. Well, when you see it, you will see the reason oh, for this choice. I understand. Because she can have... Uh, what I was going for was A, uh, an aged physical, like no need for... Uh, uh, aging prosthetics or anything like that, like an actual older person, but that you could then, uh, uh, with makeup and whatnot, make really gruesome and, and troubling. Sure. Grotesque. Of course. Yeah. Of um, course. so, so I don't have much to say about her other than that. And anyone who has seen Relic hopefully is re- like, no, that's actually a good choice. Cause I really <laughs> that choice. Uh, so that's my choice for the witch. Um, so what's interesting, and this may be, uh, we talked off pod very briefly about how, um, and I haven't mentioned it on pod yet, but, um, after I finished reading the book, I did, I had checked it out from the library because I actually don't think it's available to rent digitally anywhere, but, um, I had watched the night, uh, rewatched the 1983 version mm-hmm. of it. Now, possibly because of that planting some seeds in my mind for this game, though not intentionally, um, the witch in that rendition is played by Pam Greer, and she is young mm. and beautiful, and 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 mm. so so I was actually not thinking of casting an aged character right. for it, um, and yeah. that and that may be, uh, be because of you know having seen that rendition right. of it and pivoting. So I went with, especially maybe. Maybe the leftovers, maybe Proxima Midnight. I want Carrie Coon, and so Carrie Coon is my dust. I'm witch. sad that I don't have Carrie Coon on my list for something, but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, no, I think that's so a great choice. Carrie Coon's my dust witch because I feel like she can she she can do whichever thing she needs to do, whether she needs mm-hmm. to be you know, alluring and tempting or whether she needs to be, uh, you know, vicious That's and so malevolent. interesting to me because, and I'm sorry, I don't want to cut no, off okay. your no, uh, uh, analysis there, but like every time I'm envisioning her as I was reading again, having never seen the original and not anchoring it to any single archetype, what I'm envisioning is the crone, you know, just the, oh, the, sure. right, 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 the, right. the hunched over and the way it, the way he describes her physicality when she's mm-hmm. sewing, mm-hmm. you know, is oh, so yeah, grotesque yeah, yeah. that yeah. I don't know. So, but, but that's actually not me crit- criticizing your choice. Sure. whatsoever. No, no, I think no. it's a strong one. It just, I wasn't thinking at all along the lines of an actual, sure. You know, our age type sure. person. No, no, no problem. Um, who's the next one you're going to mention? Welcome to the party, Carrie Coon. Um, <laughs> so, my 
of these of the remaining three dark cougar and and holloway uh the one they're all i love all of them and i want this version to happen <laughs> every episode now, only directed by one. mike flanagan all oh. of them written i'm not going to name all of them yeah at once. just all name them one at a time written by the lindelof writing team i'm gonna start with dark um okay. man i went back and forth on a couple of options here but the one that kept rising to you the my top journey for too. me is he's not quite as tall as i wanted him to be but is john hawks Oh, that's a great choice. Yeah, that's he a really good choice. He has this like mildly unassuming because unless you're a movie nerd like you and I are, right, you might not right. know who that is. But right, of the course. second you see him, You've he's seen got him. that yes. universal. He's he's weathered visually. You know, in other words, he's 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 not traditionally handsome. I I didn't want. Let me let me phrase it this way. I didn't want a slick ringmaster mm, mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. i wanted this is a carnival of freaks and this is just the least visually freaky of them but also commands their authority right right right, right. or commands authority sure you know yeah of course and i don't know he just kept coming to me um there were a couple ah, nothing nothing that quite competed with him once i settled on my archetype i was going for sure I understand. um but I, I don't know. I think he could really pull that off well. No, oh, I think that's a great choice. I landed at similar logic, but picked a mm-hmm. different actor. Yeah. So my very first person, and I never found a place for him in my cast, but the very first person I thought of and ultimately rejected was Michael Keaton because I... Mm, okay. I, he's, he's, that is a good choice, though. Yeah. Like he's, he's just, at this point, is a little old for the part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, he can definitely pull off the performance. But I visualize Mr. Dark as particularly like he is he unlike some of these other sort of uh, otherwise interpretations. Mr. Dark's a young man because he moves backwards and forwards in time and everything. Right. So he is. Um. So uh. so anyway, or at least, you know, he's he's in like that right. 30s, 40s range. Middle bracket. Yeah. yeah. So um. then the next choice that I threw off of my list was Robert Downey Jr. Because I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And it's like, he's going to be too jokey. He's going to be have yeah. too much energy or whatever. So who I ultimately landed on is, and I love I love my choice, but I don't know how energizing it's, it's going to be for you. Because um, I don't know if you saw the morning show. Nope. Um, but I went with Billy Crudup. I love Billy Crudup. Billy, That's a great choice. Yeah. That's a Bill, great choice. Billy Crudup is my Mr. Dark. I'm proud of you. Yeah, because I think he is... I would have been disappointed if you'd settled with RDJ. Oh, I yeah. I don't think yeah. that's a good choice for no, us. No, 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 no. Um, but Billy Crudup is just like, he he he's handsome. Mm-hmm. He, he But not too handsome. He's got a He's, he's not got a factory. Look. Right, right, yes. right. Yes. Um, and, But... He can he can have that sort of sinister edge to him, yep. and but charming as well. Exactly, and and the charm never leaves when the sinister arrives, and that's what's what's really that's a good choice. That's what really sold me on him. Is I'm like, and it, this is largely because of his performance in the morning show that sort of planted the seed in my mind. As I was like, throughout the morning show, even in his most calculating moments, he is still just charming as can be. And I was like, that that's so Mr. Dark. That's absolutely mm-hmm. who Mr. Dark is. So yes, my Mr. Dark is I Billy Crudup. I don't uh an alternate version of me wishes I'd chosen that, but I'm not unhappy with my <laughs> no, choice. John like Hawks is choice. great. No, John Hawks is wonderful. Um okay. So did you say did you say Mr. Cougar already? No. I have not. Okay. I've yeah. got Cougar and Charles left. Okay. So do Cougar, let's end with Charles. So the visual reference I was starting for with Cougar 
was Electrico. I was like, okay, can I work, make that work? And then how, if at all, normal Cougar works. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. By the way, Robert, the nephew is Cougar as well. So my visual hook was Cougar. I'm sorry. Electrico Cougar. Right. Right. And I went back and forth. I was like, no, 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 no. And Riri. Oh no. One Google image gave me everything I needed to oh. clinch my casting for Cougar. Um, it's Tilda Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's a and great choice. It was the image of her from Suspiria as the old man. I was like, that is it. She can do anything. She, yeah. Do you remember this? I absolutely and you remember dress her up great. as Electric Co., this, this mummified whatever, but she could also play androgynous uh, cougar. I'm just calling it androgynous, but no, she can do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. she can play the smell. Riri, we got all kinds of digital goings on. Save some of your budget, Flanagan, and digitize her as Robert the Nephew. She could do it all. She could do it. She's yeah, Tilda she Swinton. Yeah, she could do it. I was so it. proud of that choice. So this is a moment, and I, I, you're happy with John Hawks, but I feel like you were really like proud of Billy Crudup. I'm proud of Tilda Swinton. Like that's that's better I was than proud mine. Of Tilda yeah, that's. I, I I'm gonna say like just out the gate, that's better than mine, because I just went a little bit more traditional. But that's sure. no, that's that is that is more well, interesting. Once I once I saw that image of the old oh, man, sure, her in Suspiria, sure. I was like, oh my god. She that's, could do it all. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Don't, don't ask me how she does Robert the Nephew. She'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. She and the, she and the she effects will, crew. She will de-age somehow she'll with her mysterious work. magic. Yes. She'll make it work. Um, so, um, she actually is the proprietor of Cougar and Dark <laughs> <laughs> Pandemonium Exactly. Show. Exactly. Um, I do love that. I do love that. Thank you. And a big reason why I love that is because there's not a lot. Of, and even though the character is a male, there's not a lot of interesting female parts in this. And so that's, sure. that's yes. a really, that's a really good, that's a really good take. Um, so I was trying to find a place. I love him. We will, uh, stay tuned, everybody. There's a bonus episode featuring friend of the show and friend of mine, Bill Oberst Jr. Is uh, there's a bonus episode coming in your feed on uh, the day before Halloween, so be on the lookout for it. But um, the uh, but I tried to find a place for him and considered him for Cougar. Um, I do think he would do a killer job at it. Uh, one thing that even by even he would admit if we were dialoguing about this is he doesn't quite have the height um, of that that cougar sort of has an imposing sort of presence. Mm-hmm. So that pivoted me over to and I mentioned Jacob Tremblay is my Robert mm-hmm. the nephew. Um, so I went Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz is my cougar. Is he tall? He's pretty. He's pretty tall. Really? He's pretty tall. But the biggest thing that I that I enjoyed about him and again that's why i'm saying like i'm not as energized by christoph waltz as cougar as i am about your choice for tilda Swinton. i do love christoph waltz but, but yeah it's hard but, to beat yeah, tilda it's yeah. uh but but that's but yeah so that's where i landed although it clearly it was not something that i was ever able to just like land on a yeah that's the, sure that's no, the one i'm with you not like a billy well, what for I mr ca- dark you know no like, i'm extremely proud of you yeah. there um because what i kept visualizing in my head as electrico was like um and what what I was hunting for and not finding just in imagery was like the Theoden in under mm, Saruman's mm-hmm. thrall. And yes, right, right, when right. When they find him, until, like that image kept coming to me. I was like, that's what I'm kind of looking for. And when I saw her, face, up, I was like, who I considered for a long yeah. time uh, was was actually, but again, it was the height thing and the sort of imposing nature. But he's too docile as a performer. Um, I, I long time considered Tim Robbins, but but. 
again, mm. it was just the height that was getting me there. He's he's very docile as a performer, and Cougar as a character is much more sort of imposing, which I think Christoph Waltz could pull For a split second, off. I pondered him as dark, like as oh, the, oh, gotcha. the yeah. leader of the crew, yeah, yeah, yeah. but did, that, that yeah. passed. And in fact, one of the reasons it passed, did you ever end up watching Castle Rock Season 2? I, I haven't made it it's, to it yet. Don't I feel like bother. a bad, don't bother. I feel like a bad Stephen it, King fan. But. And you're not a bad Stephen King fan. Um, <laughs> Let me assure you, um, but he's in it, and I really dislike his performance. I, I, really? What I saw of that season, I dislike kind of in total. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to let you go. Are. I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to say out the gate. When you told me to do this, the very first image that it was in my head because it was in my head the whole time I was reading the book. I, we haven't talked about this on the show, but there mm-hmm. is a person I picture when I'm reading the book. That is Charles Holloway for me. So, so this one, I'm not saying it's the perfect choice, but this is my Charles Holloway to the end. Okay. So, so go well, right. Well, see what's funny about this that has come up once or to- twice and you've subconsciously flirted with here is maybe I'm wrong, but I think because I'm prone to this as well, I think our tendency is to age up Charles because yes. we are 40. But Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. text, he's early 50s, mid 50s. He's 54. Yes, right. Right. So in my head, I, I, I did not, I intentionally chose to not overshoot the age, Mm. even though it's kind of there to unintentionally do. So I, I don't have a ton, uh, of, of, it's not a till to move, but I was pretty proud of this one. And this actor, I looked this up, is actually 55. Oh. Right now, I actually considered John Hawks for this role, but mm. ultimately, because my only concern with this choice, the only concern is he might be too handsome. Mm. And my choice for Charles Holloway and our dream casting is Kyle Chandler. Oh, he's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's got yeah. that subdued sure. energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We know from Friday Night Lights, he can engage with younger actors. Uh, sure, of course. He's yeah, going to yeah. have that. When, but, but, because Kyle Chandler plays like a dual type. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the understated father figure, but also we root for and, and long for his hero moment, know, absolutely, which yeah, Charles absolutely. Holloway absolutely gets in this, in this mm-hmm. text. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it didn't energize me to the level of Tilda, but it was oh, like, it. no, that is solid. 20 year old me would have chosen like a 60 or 70 year old actor. Cause in my head, that person's really old. My, my, but, my actor is in his seventies for, good for Charles Holloway. No, because, well, but I'm fine with that now because I know where you're going. But I don't mean I don't know who it is. But as in, like, right, 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 right. I understand the logic there. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, well, um, tell me. Tell if us. we if we had like a if we had like our powers combined, you know, like that would be sure. like like your your Tilda Swinton. That's like that's like hands down. I would I would I would try to make a big push for Billy Crudup. But um, but do you like my Kyle Chandler. You like I that? do like your Kyle Chandler. Okay. I am gonna in the spirit of honesty and transparency. My only sort of thing is tell me especially from friday night lights that's where i picture you know yeah yeah, yeah. coach coach taylor you right know? um but uh kyle chandler i do not fear for him in a fight he will he will handle business if he okay. needs to right um and charles halloway to me i need to feel about him the way that we'll will felt about him in the great 
like yeah, no, 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 tall. no. He's, or he's now he is yes, tall, right. right, right. And just and and that does it because my actor's actually I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, and and the actor I chose is actually on the tall side, but but okay. I'm just saying like I needed him to be, which is why I needed him to pivot older. I start looking at 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 actors who are in their 50s, and they all look like they're in high school still. Like I mean, like just with you that's know, a stretch, but yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like you know, they right. they don't look the way Halloway is described, and it's all about him being old. So I'm like, but okay, wherever you're going with this, I need your in story motivation for why a 70 year old white man married a 40 year old lovely black woman well sure so we'll figure that out he does not i'll let you defend it i'm sorry he does not look 70 here's here's my biggest thing is (laughs) in the thing that i know uh you will know him from most they actually aged him up a little bit Mm -hmm. um but in in some of the other performances i've seen him in he can pull off a mid 50s to early 60s i needed somebody who had a gentleness about him a melancholy about him. But again, um, I didn't have any other, like I went looking for other ones to see if somebody could unseat my choice. Sure, because sure. as I read this book this time, who I saw and who I heard speaking the lines of Charles Holloway is Richard Jenkins. And to me, that. Richard Jenkins, yes. though he is in his seventies, Looks like he could play a man who is in his mid to upper fifties with a little mm-hmm. bit of color in his hair. He could he could pull that off. A gentleness of spirit, a melancholy of spirit. Sure, you yes. do not believe he's going to be the one. Uh, yeah, to, he'll lose. He'll lose. Yes. You know, <laughs> and and so you do not imagine that he will be up for this fight. But when he does, your heart will soar yes. within you when he when he bests them and when he and also like town public library you know like a janitor yes, of a yes. of a public library i like know? that choice a you lot i don't i i'm not asking you to do this right now <laughs> i need a little more comprehension of how your charles halloway ends up with your mrs halloway uh, sure, but sure. uh i think richard jenkins is a fantastic choice and in fact i maybe maybe my Kyle Chandler choice was a a budgetary and marketing choice not a mm. uh because i'm i am 80% i i'm 100% Kyle Chandler i'm sure. 80% Kyle Chandler as Charles Holloway only because i believe him more as a hero right right he, he's 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 got the the chin and mm-hmm. the build oh, yeah, for, of the, course. for the hero of course. yeah but can also pull for the the subtle and solemn but richard jenkins is much more subtle and solemn than chiseled right, hero. Right, yes. right, right. And I just, I, the, and in terms of like the relationship and everything, um, his gentleness would be like, like Mrs. Halloway, though I can't recall if they specifically cite her age, she is clearly at least a bit younger, um, than, than mm-hmm. he is. Um, and so, you know, I, not 20 years younger. Um, or even, you know, like edging on 30 years younger in my real world casting. I'm talking about like, uh, you know, if you you would not present Richard Jenkins as if he is in his 70s, you would pretend Charles Halloway is in his 50s and make up Richard Jenkins to pull that off. But um, the the in terms of like the relationship of that, the, th- the way that I've always seen in terms of Charles Halloway's. Uh, own relationship in the book is that it is his gentleness of spirit, his fundamental goodness of spirit that makes him the natural choice of of anyone to fall in love with. Like, I love the man. 
like, oh my God, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think it's more so whether I'm looking back to, you know, 20 years ago and his role as the visitor or, you know, like there's there's a couple of things that I've seen him in that I'm just like, man, Richard Richard Jenkins is my Charles no. Holloway. The so, minute you said yeah. the name, I was like, that works. Yeah. And that's but, a strong, uh, strong work. So that's my, that's my, that rounds out my casting. This was fun. This was great. It was very fun. I, I think between the two of us, someone out there should be lit to the typewriter. To the typewriter. No, We've I We've got a hell of a hell of a power ranking here. That's true. That's true. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, so it's it's fun. Remind me, who was your dark? My Mr. Dark is Billy Crudup. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah. I'm down with Jenkins. I think my I think the the casting choices that I think are the most inspired are probably Crudup as Mr. Dark. Uh, I would say Jenkins is Holloway. And then, uh, I'm really proud of Mary Steenburgen as Miss Foley. I think she's like a perfect Miss Foley. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that, I think those are the only ones that I would like, I would throw down to fight for those choices in those roles. The rest of them are just people that I enjoy and think would do a good job. <laughs> so, yes. So if yeah. I, I would, I would, um, fight for Kyle like I was his casting agent, like mm-hmm. I was his mm-hmm. agent, but not because I think, He's the literal best fit. Uh, sure. Tilda, I'd be like, if I'm the oh. producer of this film, I'm like, um, can we get Tilda on for this? Yeah, Tilda's, um, Tilda's that's a perfect um, choice. I like the ideas. This is, this is, we're being honest here. We're producing a film. Sure, okay, of we've course, got a, yes. We've yes. got a limited budget and we need mm-hmm. to utilize it well. Um, I, I need a little more work done. This is some notes, Reed. Yeah. I need a little more work done to make the pieces fit on the interracial version you're bringing sure juxtaposed sure. to what i think might be a little more inspired with my version of Jim. oh no i don't i don't um, totally disagree no i don't disagree so yeah have your people call my people and um <laughs> we'll, we'll get cracking on this we'll, we'll get damon out. and damon and mike on the phone and, uh, sure uh, sure they they're yeah. they're friends yeah absolutely we'll make something happen um so man that was a ton of fun but we have uh an actual like you know the the ending of the book to get to um so we're gonna just there, there's well, actually hard pivot there <laughs> well, well i'm sorry i'm, I'm kidding, sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> um so um there's actually not a ton in the way of like th- there's a there's a few little plot beats that are taking place but actually this third section feels to me i don't know if it felt this way to you in the reading of it feels very brisk brisk yeah feels like it's <laughs> it's <laughs> um feels like it's very close you know tightly knit and and things resolve uh with relative swiftness not necessarily with ease but with swiftness um so uh right out the gate the in the in the first little bit um if there is this is what i'll say if the book has a stand up and cheer moment, uh, which it may have several to several can, people. Can I throw out a note before you get to that? Stand yeah, up and sure, cheer sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cause, cause I want to hang there. Yeah. But, uh, I will say like, uh, scares and whatnot. One of my only that ain't rights comes <laughs> in the paperback versions, page two fifteen, chapter 45. <clears throat> when, um, Mr. Dark lays out his plans for will. Oh my He's already gosh. got designs on on Jim's progression going yes. forward, you know, yes. go aging him up. Mr. Dark, this is after they've waxened the boys mm-hmm. and are puppeteering them, marionetting them back towards the, the carnival. And Mr. Dark says, and Will, let's ride him back and back, eh? Backwards in time. 
Make him a babe in arms, a babe for the dwarf to carry like a clown child, round about in parades, every day for the next fifty years. Would you like that, Will, to be a babe forever, not able to talk and tell all the lovely things you know? Yes, I think that's best for Will, a plaything, a little wet friend for the dwarf. That is jacked up yeah it's messed up that absolutely is yeah that's that's so please run with your um run with your cheer moment so mr dark thinks they've got the upper hand kind of technically they do have the upper hand they've uh successfully won the confrontation at the library where they crushed charles's hand and escaped with will and jim um, but then Mr. Dark at this moment does not know that the Dust Witch did not successfully kill Charles. And if the book had, this is what I was about to say, if the book has a stand up and cheer moment, I would nominate the ending of chapter 46 because Will and Jim are forced, they're waxened, they're in the wax museum, uh, they're controlled by witchcraft and by threats. And then Mr. Dark prepares the audience that has attended for the bullet. Put trip. on a show. Yep. The bullet trick, the old, the, the, the old trick where, uh, clearly somebody is, the illusion is that a volunteer from the audience fires a rifle at a, at a carnival performer and supposedly the bullet, uh, is caught in the teeth of the performer. It is an illusion and, uh, it's, it's actually been around for so long that most people, I think, know how the illusion is done. But, um, and this book describes the illusion and how it's done. But, um, so he's preparing them for the bullet trick, even though the witch is saying, no, 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 no. Like, I, d- I didn't kill Charles. But then, um, they move on and he's, he tries to kind of go, okay, so we don't have a volunteer. And then from the back, it says, oh, wait, here we do have a volunteer. That's great. Yeah. And I don't know if you had, so every time I read this book, I have this feeling. And I tried very hard. I don't know if you noticed this. I tried very hard not to pre-brief or prepare your experiences of moments that I knew were coming. I tried mm-hmm. very hard to just be like, no, let me just, no, let me, let me not stage this. Let me not hype this. Let me just let it sort of be. So when I got a text from you <laughs> that simply said, man, this, this whole, and we're about to describe the scene, so I'll summarize. But you said, man, this scene is awesome. I was like, you don't know what it did because that's the, <laughs> that's the feeling that I get when I yeah, read yeah. it, you know, and yeah. I'm like, man, I hope in that way that whether it's you with the good Lord bird or whether it's you with any number of things that you would champion to be like, I hope people's hearts leap bounds and bounds like mine does when I read this section or when I experience I'm glad this I thing. can meet your expectations in that scenario. <laughs> so, so, but uh, the volunteer, a hand goes up and it says, then, uh, you know, the volunteer steps forward and it describes him simply. Well, it even holds, I'm sorry, it even yep. holds, you know, dark is, he, he is doing his ringmaster routine mm-hmm. and no one volunteers. And then he says, since there are no volunteers, we will cancel our last act here. A volunteer yelling from the crowd. Oh my gosh. And then when the volunteer emerges, it describes him simply and subtly as Charles Halloway, citizen, father, introspective husband, night wanderer, and janitor of the town library. And man, just that's great. Just the, the, the heart just cheers. The humblest of men arriving 
to strike actual terror into fear itself and quite possibly to save the day. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, and then immediately after that, I love, um, I don't want to skip over if you have something literally after that, but I love when Halloway starts overpowering the energy mm, mm-hmm. of the show mm-hmm. and calling for will. Cause something clicks with him. Oh yeah. I can't, I can't see. This is, this is what I referenced last week. It was a little confusing to me what anyone, if anyone was seeing mm. visually of Jim and will, because sure. like, like the impression I get is they are not visible to this crowd. Right. Even though are they present? You know, so I was just a little confused about just the, the literal geography going on there. But sure, sure. Um, but Charles starts calling for his son for another volunteer. He says, I need a volunteer now. Mm. Oh, Will, man. are you out there? And he and it's not um, it's not flailing. Right. It's oh, calculated. Right. Oh, it's and that's what's really impressive yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and calls it, it, like you, you just said. And eventually with the energies of the crowd supporting him breaks the incantation enough for will to come forward. It's really powerful. Well, and I I love this. This is probably my favorite little passage from that section. Uh, so he's, he's rallied the audience and I couldn't tell if, if will had roused yet, but Mr. Dark could not guess what they were up to for that matter. Charles Halloway did not know or guess. It was as if he had written this play for himself over the years in the library nights torn up the play after memorizing it and now Mm. forgotten what he had set forth to remember. He was relying on secret discoveries of self moment by moment playing by ear. No heart and soul. And now, and then he, something happens to, to arrest the moment. But I just love, I think what I love about that idea and what speaks to me there is those, that feeling sometimes that you're like, what is the life I'm living? And then a moment, calls you to it right that is that is all the you Mm. distilled and like oh this is this is this is my moment this is the thing Uh, i'm not skilled i'm not you know wealthy what whatever i'm i don't i'm not glamorous whatever but but all the all the things that have made me are now called to summon into this moment and Mm. that's just really cool it's so wonderful. No, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have anything. You know, immediately after it, I was just going to kind of summarize those pieces. Obviously, he over he overcomes because he had bested the witch with the power of laughter in the library. Okay, well, talk to me about that because sure, I'm sorry, not the library scene. Are you okay to do this? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Violence, yeah. Mm-hmm. I. I was also a little like, you know, you're reading the book. and It's like, okay, well, I don't totally understand, but I'm going to go with it. Um, <laughs> is draw. So, so in the text, if you haven't read the book, you're probably not even listening to this episode, but Charles tricks the tricksters by subverting the bullet trick somehow. Yes. And what he does with the wax bullet that's meant to explode when it's shot. Um, and with the real bullet that is now in the, in the ownership of the witch, uh, he's drawn what the text initially refers to as a crescent moon that mm-hmm. he then mouths something to the effect of it being his smiling mouth mm-hmm. to you is that it's literally just the, the quote unquote magic of his joy. Like I, I couldn't tell if there was something literal that I wasn't 
comprehending had happened there if he was summoning an incantation of a sort on his own no not at any so so the i think this is an answer to your question the way i read it is in his encounter with the witch he understands he comprehends oh it is joy that it, you know it is it is joy mirth fullness of spirit mm-hmm. delight it is these things that are their kryptonite they don't use that word, yes. but it's right, it's, right, it's right. these things that will destroy them. And so in that, you know, spirit, I think even he doesn't know that this will work. I think he's just he draws that crescent moon knowing or at least presuming that Mr. Dark will not register it as anything other than a moon. Right. And so and which which he doesn't. He doesn't register it as anything. But then when he thinks in his mind and mouths silently, this is my smile. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. firing my smile at you. I do think it is the, the willful force of that, of that joy. This, this, um, again, it, it is a bit of magic, if you will. Sure. Um, sure. it, that, that undermines the darkness they are trying to perpetuate and by which they operate in general. Well, and no, and I appreciate that. Fortunately, I understood, I understood what was there in those yes, moments. Sometimes right. you're like, did I miss something? Right, um, right, right, right. But the way you just described that, I don't have a ton of notes for this section, mm, but sure, sure. Um, in chapter 52, which I'm not going to discuss the text of more, just a, 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 a quote mm. that you just sort of conjured to me is sometimes good has weapons and evil none. And I just mm-hmm. love the way you just described that. I, and I don't even remember exactly how you worded it, but just he has, he comprehends the weaponizing, which I don't mean in a malevolent no, sense, no, but yeah. the, the instrumenting of his own mirth and joy. And that's really oh, powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't have a ton of notes, so we can probably skim through them and then just pivot to theme at any point, either in these next couple of notes or, uh, after these, we'll we'll get into the broader themes of the book. Sure. So, um, so yes, uh, the witch is now vanquished, and the carnival, uh, the the bystanders seem to sort of just disappear. They seem to just like, oh, was what a what a wonderful trick or whatever, and they pass the witch off as if, oh, she's fainted or you know it's all part of the act or whatever, and then they disperse, purely terrified now because they recognize that Halloway knows how to defeat them. Mm-hmm. And so in in that, they need to get away or they need to craft a new strategy, a new plan, which Mr. Dark does. We'll, we'll get to that. They also try, I think, to revive Mr. Cougar, but they can't even get him to the carousel in time before he dusts away. Right. They, they try to get him they there. They snapped elsewhere <laughs> in the universe. Basically, yes, yes. So they can't even get him to the contraption to reverse his aging process before he just he just dusts away. Um, but then the, the, the moment that I really uh, become, again, emotionally overwhelmed again is they, they pass through I can't remember at this moment if they have to pass through this or if they just see it and they think that the carnival, that members of the carnival has run into it, but they run into the mirror maze. So right. um, when they enter the mirror maze, 
it's really a kind of a haunting and, and powerful segment. When they run into the mirror maze, Charles is halted by the image of what in the book is described as millions. There's not millions of mirrors here, but it is, it is an overwhelming sure. army of his own aged self like sort of oppressing him in this moment. And of course it's a, it's a, they, they've um, uh, founded in the book that this mirror maze is not merely a hall of mirrors that it has some incantation power. Yes, exactly. Um, so the image is then that he is now staring down the face of his own overwhelming fragility his own overwhelming feebleness, um, the the oppression of age and time coming to just bear full bore on him. It drives him to his knees, literally. Mm-hmm. And in a moment that just ch- chokes me up so much, um, Charles is buckled under the weight of it, and Will steps in, and I'm skipping over the whole he said, he said, but Will basically says, oh, dad, dad, I don't care how old you are ever. I don't care what. I don't care anything. Dad, I love you. And something in Will's undeterred and unhindered expression of love and affection for his father then causes Charles to to enliven again. And I love this passage. I wrote this down. It says, And then at last he gave the maze, the mirrors, and all time ahead, beyond, around, above, behind, beneath, or squandered inside himself, the only answer possible. He opened his mouth very wide and let the loudest sound of all free. And then I love that it, it just in case the listener doesn't know what it's referring to, it says the witch, if she were alive, would have known that sound and died again. So clearly, just the, like he has burst, he was oppressed under the weight of his own sort of lost time gone time uh you know misbegotten time whatever and now just bursts forth in laughter in a way that causes all i mean the mirrors all shatter they all break and and it it stops the carnival freaks in their tracks um and so it's just again it's a very can i throw at you kind of a a coda on your what you're describing though it takes place in the middle of the following chapter yeah sure sure when the one of my favorite passages maybe from this uh, part of the book uh big part you know part three is after the mirror maze has crumbled uh, it says all because of the sound he had let come from his lungs through his throat out his mouth. And this is the important part to me all because he accepted everything at last mm. accepted the carnival, the Hills beyond the people in the Hills, Jim will, and above all himself and all of life and accepting threw back his head for the second time tonight and showed his acceptance with sound. That's so really love above all himself and all of life. That's so wonderful. Because, because it's like, you know, just last week we shared how Charles says a man is never a hero to himself. Mm, and right. here we are closing that loop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, he has, I- he has done the work. I'm sorry to cut you off. He has mm-hmm. done the work. He, he has believed in the boys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he has risen to the occasion. Yeah. He's shown himself to be, he's shown himself capable mm-hmm. in the moment. 
Yeah. And that that's that's I think that's new for this character. No, I agree. And I feel like I didn't mention it last week when the section actually came up, but because it is a bit more thematic, but when in the library when when he says I'll refer back to my note here, in the library uh when he's talking to the boys after they've told him the whole story and um he says you know, is this my last stop? Chances are. Why am I here at all right now? It seems to help you. Mm-hmm. Yes, very late in the game to help you. That to me is kind of his first, maybe not his very first, but at least his his first substantive step to coming into reconciliation with his place in time. I said in an earlier part of the conversation, and this is absolutely thematic, so we can follow this breadcrumb or we can, you know, mention other things if it doesn't take us very far. But um, I mentioned in an earlier segment of our conversation about this book that that is one of the things Charles is wrestling with. When, when we first see him, particularly in the first section of the book, he is at... He, he is in conflict with his place in time, not just with his age. That right. is one thing of just feeling like I'm older than I wish I was. I didn't do all the things I wanted to do or whatever. But it is also broader than that. Is it, it, It's a reconciliation of his particular being in this moment in time at the age he is right. at, you know, it, it, it's all of those things encompassing. And so when he makes that admission to them in the library, and then in the end with, with what you and I have just read about what he experiences at the end of the book and, and uh, encountering it with laughter. Um, but just that feeling of saying like, yes, I, d- to help you, like he, I am, I am here to do this. I am here to right. be this. This is my moment in time. And then uh, I don't know if you picked up on this because I don't know if you looked back at it, but the um, character of Stubb in Moby Dick, his quote uh, in on the front page of the book after the passage from Proverbs, it says, I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, that, that that's a central thesis of the book is to to greet our world with joy and to beat back the forces of fear and death and darkness with our own vibrance and vitality of life and joy and mayhem and silliness and just beating back the heaviness with unbridled energetic joy um, that I think is it's, you it's might a, say. A takeaway there, Reed, is to, I don't know, fear nothing else and be, be on your way to rejoicing. Yes, yes, because that is that is a central it, – it's a concept that at the time I read this book – the first time I read this book, I was 13. And at the time I read it, I remember not so maturely – and concisely capturing that idea, but that those seeds being planted of like, yeah, that, 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 that is it. This, this, you know, not allowing yourself to be afraid, but allowing yourself the permission to rejoice and to dance. You know, we, we didn't talk about it, but so, uh, a number of things happen. Jim actually almost gets sucked up by the carnival, by the carousel. I mean, Mm. He almost gets sucked up by the carousel. He does get rescued by Will. Will grabs hold of him and pulls him back, but he appears to be lifeless on the ground, uh, is fundamentally lifeless for all intents and purposes. And then while Will is desperately trying to revive Jim, a little boy runs out and uh, begs for Charles to 
you know, hey, hey, come quick, help that that bad man, Mr. Dark, or, you know, I mm-hmm. forget exactly mm-hmm. all he says, but he basically is like, come, come, please help, you know. And then Charles recognizes that the little boy in front of him is Mr. Dark, that Mr. Right. Dark has de-aged himself. And when he does this, I just, again, find it so powerful. And this is a man now not only at home in in his own skin, but at home in his time, at home in his town, at home right. in his place. He is he is reconciled and at peace with his specific dot in the whole spectrum of time and space and and everything else like he, this is my this is my place and this is what I am doing and why I'm here to do it and so he grabs the boy and and it it's like a hug he's just hugging yeah, him yeah and as he's hugging him Mr. Dark accuses him of being evil and this is the a line that I wrote down he pulls him in he he tightens the hug he's not it's it's important to recognize that he's hugging the boy so closely, and the boy is Mister Dark. But he's hugging the boy so closely Tilda. that he, uh, right, um, that he uh, no, this is not Tilda. This is Mister Dark. Um, oh, oh, right, right. But um, but he's hugging the boy so closely that he can't uh, get away. But it's it's not like he's squeezing the life out of him. That's not quite what's happening. He is hugging him and showing him affection. And this is what the line is. It says, "Yes, good to evil." seems evil let me pause because i'm going to read that again good to evil seems evil Mm -hmm. so i will do only good to you i will simply hold you and watch you poison yourself and then uh, not speaking the text goes on to say he gathered the boy somewhat closer and thought evil has only the power that we give it Mm -hmm. i give you nothing i take back starve 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 and man what a what a powerful in and to me incredibly inspiring concept of how to imp- approach those kinds of things you know like i i give you nothing i take right. everything back well like, and you know the last page has my last note pre any thematics but we're all we're basically there and the uh, the boys have run on ahead after this scene, and it says the father hesitated only a moment. He felt the vague pain in his chest. If I run, he thought, what will happen? And this is the part that sung out to me. Is death important? No. Everything that happens before death is what counts. Mm. And we've done fine tonight. Even death can't spoil it. So there went the boys, and why not follow? And I just think that that, you know, I I will fail at this, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to articulate how that line, everything that happens before death is what matters, Mm. sums up all I've tried to be after this year with in the morning. Yeah. And now with this and when, when that passage in chapter 50 all because he accepted himself and his life like the we can only part because to me uh, if you if you're okay with us just run run, it running uh with the vague pain in our side uh alongside those yeah around Mm us this notion that i think is so powerful and pertinent and important uh of partnering in common cause that love is common cause 
can only truly be added to by you if you accept yourself and your life and recognize that everything that happens before death is what matters. Yeah, right, right. And what I don't mean is things that happen before death are what matter so that what happens after death can matter. That's not what I mean. Mm, I mean, right. everything that happens before death is what matters. Your capacity to be present, your willingness to look at yourself, you know, your willingness to believe mm. those who tell you things that may on their surface sound a bit fantastical, right. a bit out of the box, a bit outside of your comprehension of the world and then joining in with them because love looks like common cause. We, we, yeah, we partner right. together in these things. And so to me, it's not so much because the story of Charles Holloway is the story of adult people, <laughs> mm, right, right, right? You know, I can't relate that greatly to Will and Jim. I can very clearly understand the things that go on in Charles's heart and spirit yes, and mind. Right. Yes. Right. And the, um, the running away from, as opposed to when called for a volunteer saying, mm, I got you, man. Mm, mm-hmm, cause, mm-hmm. cause those people need me. Mm-hmm. And I know they're here and my love for them compels me towards things that are hazardous occasionally to my well being. Right. But right. because of, acceptance of self and life i'm going to choose to to you know to starve yeah in the name of partnering mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know mm-hmm. i'm just throwing out some lofty ideas there well and something that we um i i've resisted it so far and 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 maybe i need to apologize for resisting it because the language is so beautiful and powerful and wonderful let's let's continue to echo it but um, I keep hearing you use the word partnering and my mind goes back to the end game conversation and Ian's talking mm, about mm-hmm. part- partnering in the impossible. And I think about Charles and, and first off, he believed first he believes in the impossible. He, be- he believes the boys because he loves them mm-hmm. and, and Jim's not his son, but he, he, he loves them and trusts them and sees the goodness in them and and therefore believes the impossible and by believing the impossible which is fundamentally by believing in them then i i feel like to go back to the end game conversation and if if listeners are listening to this but haven't heard our conversation about marvel's end game avengers end game um we there was a concept there that that is part of what friendship is and what you know this this doing life is it's partnering in the impossible and we didn't say it then, but I'll say it now. I think partnering in the impossible begins with kind of accepting the impossible and believing the impossible. And and when I say that, I mean there are there are so many things these days that I feel, and I'm I'm really going to do a lousy job at doing this. Uh, I hope not to, but I feel like. Okay, so there's there's a we didn't read this book, but there's a there's an essay by G.K. Chesterton called um, uh, "The Impractical Man," and 
it is basically, you know, uh, I'm summarizing it perhaps very poorly of saying like enough with practicality. We need impact. We need impractical people to believe impossible things so that they can be said about the business of making them come into being. That is G.K. Chesterton's, you know, wonderfully articulated essay summarized in brief, you know, uh, uh, enough with practicality. We need impractical people to believe impossible things so that they can begin setting about bringing them into being. And to me, I think there's a there's a large sort of push right now to uh to to hammer in on practical realistic groundedness and to me i think as i as i reflect on the themes of something wicked this way comes evil attacks in in this novel evil attacks at its heart it says i can give you a do-over for your regrets or mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. I can um unencumber you from time I can bring yep. you out of the control of time's power and in and and in so doing you will have the freedom to be young forever miss foley is given the the presumably the allure of being able to be young but then she's she's trapped there one thing i will say that is somewhat horrific is for the lightning rod salesman and Miss Foley and any of the others affected by that, like we we get no everything's okay for them. Like as far as right. we know, like they, I'm not saying definitively that they are doomed, but we don't get a lovely little bow saying and they'll be all right. right <laughs> you know, right, like right. like what happened to them happened and it just moved on. But that is the that is the the wicked thing in this book that comes to saying I can. I can, uh, you know, disconnect you from the confines of that and send you forward, send you backward. I can make boys strapping young men, uh, and I can take old men who feel like their time is mostly behind them and I can bring them back to places where they are young and vibrant and, and, and all of that is very malevolent. And one of the key defeats of evil in this book is to be accepting of the place where you are accepting of this is what has happened to me this is where i am it's part of why i find his volunteering so powerful it citizen father introspective husband night wa- night wanderer and janitor of the public library you know like it's because it doesn't deny right. any of the any of the identifiers it no. it harmonizes them yes and this and is and in that harmonizing is. is what and that's that's a better way of saying what I was trying to scratch out earlier of like in that harmony he finds his moment. Yes, because that is that is what is called for in that moment. And and all of our great all of our great stories, um David and Goliath, uh the the hobbits of Hobbiton, like all of our great stories are, you know, these these little things, the things that are dismissed by the 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 warriors and the grand schemes at large like those little things are what turn the fate of the world you know like these little these little uh dismissed and disregarded people and things are quite often what the whole of history hinges on um anyway that's a big it's like uh to borrow a flanagan phrase it's like confetti um Mm -hmm. i do want to read can I read a passage real quick? Yeah, and yeah then by all means. I, I don't know how better to summarize my feelings on the whole and on our conversation than this passage. And it's a, it's the bigger version of what I keep 
coming to, but I, I can't get away from this love as common cause. And I went back to find the section like, okay, what's going on there? And ironically, much like we do on the show, sometimes it's Charles Holloway's inner thoughts and of his inability to articulate himself. <laughs> right. Right. And, right. And he's talking to, to Jim and Will and he says, what could he say that might make sense to them? This is going to be a minute. Could he say love was above all common cause shared experience? That was the vital cement. Wasn't it? Could he say how he felt about their all being here tonight on this wild world, running around a big sun, which fell through a bigger space, falling through yet vaster immensities of space, maybe toward, maybe away from something. Could he say we share this billion mile an hour ride? We share important. We share this billion mile an hour ride. Uh, what is mildly important as an inter interjection here about the carousel? You ride it alone. Um, uh, right, right. We have common cause against the night. You start with little common causes. Why love the boy in a March field with his kite braving the sky? He, this, he, he rattles off this list. Why love some girl viewed from a train? He, it's about togetherness and partnership. Why weep at strangers dead by the road? They resemble friends unseen in 40 years. This is this latter part is my favorite section. Why love the woman who is your wife? Her nose breathes in the air of a world that I know. Therefore, I love that nose. <clears throat> her ears hear music. I might sing half the night through. Therefore, I love her ears. Her eyes delight in seasons of the land. And so I love those eyes. Her tongue knows quince, peach, chokeberry, mint, and lime. I love to hear it speaking. Because her flesh knows heat, cold, affliction, I know fire, snow, and pain. Shared and once again shared experience. I'm almost there. Yeah. Billions of prickling textures. Cut one sense away. Cut part of life away. Cut two senses. Life halves itself on the instant. And this is maybe my favorite sentence uh, in this passage because it requires partnering in the impossible being together shared common cause it says we love what we know we love what we are common cause common cause common cause of mouth eye ear tongue hand nose flesh heart and soul <sighs> you don't you don't get a better articulation than that no and it's... and and you know someone who would maybe not our listeners because they're with us for this, this long haul, they partner with us in this impossible task. They share in our common cause. And for that there's mutual love here, but someone just catching a, a snatch of conversation of ours over, over the time, over the years would hear something say like, Oh, we love what we know. We love what we are. That's very self-seeking. That's very self-serving. That's very mm -hmm. selfish. And I would say, well, well, no, <laughs> you, once you know, that your common cause and your shared experience is the love you feel. And you are part of that symbiotic relationship. You then love what, you know, I know, read, I love read. I know my children. I love my children. I, right, these right. are things. I also love what I am. I am a part of, and with you, I am father, night wanderer, janitor at the local library, like right. all of these things yes. that make up who I am, that define me in space and time to reject, to hate, to deny those things make me incapable of partnering with you in the impossible. Right. Of sharing in common cause and thus 
conveying and experiencing the love shared there. And, and listen, I think it's, it's the snake eating its tail. It's as impossible to fully recognize and live in the truth that everything that matters, everything that happens before death is what matters. It's Mm. an impossible task. So what? So we partner in it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it folds in on itself back and forth. Yes. Into eternity. Yeah. To put a real sort of punctuation mark there. Right. Right. No, it's, it is, I love, and I don't know if this was precisely what you were saying, but it's what I heard. Um, it's impossible. So we, we can't do it alone. We have to partner in it. And, um, and it's, so I want to pivot back and, and you've so wonderfully, you know, so, uh, read a passage that kind of summarizes your feelings on it. If you'll, if you'll permit me to, to do a, a, a comparable thing, um, I'm going to go back to 28. I said last week that 28 is uh, chapter 28 when he's talking to Will about goodness and, and uh, mm-hmm. just navigating the world. Uh, I'm going to, this, this is a, a deliberate attempt on my part to use a different section of the book. Sure, to yes. Sure. And you, um, on, on the whole, like, you know, common cause and partnering and, and to unpack a bit more of that hard work of accepting things mm-hmm. and accepting your place. So, um, if you're trying to follow along, I'm on my page 135, but he's talking to Will after the whole conversation where Will said, you know, why aren't you happy? And he said, yeah, yeah. are you a good person and everything? Um, and he says, uh, start with sometimes the man who looks happiest in town with the biggest smile is the one carrying the biggest load of sin. There are smiles and smiles. Learn to tell the dark variety from the light, the seal barker and the laugh shouter. Half the time he's covering up. He's had his fun and he's guilty and men do love sin. Will. Oh, how they love it. Never doubt in all shapes, sizes, colors, and smells. Times come when troughs, not tables suit our appetites. Hear a man too loudly praising others and look to wonder if he didn't just get up from the sty. On the other hand, that unhappy, pale, put-upon man walking by who looks all guilt and sin. Why, often that's your good man with a capital G, Will. For being good, this is, this is the part that I really hone in on, for being good is a fearful occupation. Men strain at it and sometimes break in two. I've known a few. You work twice as hard to be a farmer as to be his hog. I suppose it's thinking about trying to be good makes the crack run up the wall one night. A man with high standards, too, the least hair falls on him, sometimes wilts his spine. He can't let himself alone, won't lift himself off the hook if he falls just a breath from grace. And this is something you alluded to earlier. I'm going to skip most of this paragraph, but it says, Oh, it would be lovely if you could just be fine, act fine, not think of it all the time. But it's hard, right? And I'm skipping most of that paragraph to go down to this next part. He says, Look at me, married at 39, will 39, but I was so busy wrestling myself two falls out of three, I figured I couldn't marry until I had licked myself good and forever. And Check this. Don't miss this statement because, man... Mm-hmm. This to me too late. I found out you can't wait to become perfect. You got to go out and fall down and get up with everybody else. So at last I look up from my great self wrestling match one night when your mother came to the library for a book and got me instead. 
<laughs> and I saw then and there, you take a man half bad and a woman half bad and put their two good halves together, and you got one human all good to share between. That's you, Will, for my money. And the strange thing is, son, and sad too, though you're always racing out there on the rim of the lawn and me on the roof using books for shingles, comparing life to libraries, I soon saw you were wiser, sooner, and better than I will ever be. And the, you're talking, we're talking about this partnering in the impossible. We're talking about the, the notion of accepting where we are and who we are. And, and that to me, you know, you can't, you can't wait. He found out too late. You can't wait to be perfect. You got to go out and you got to fall down just like everybody else. And then he finds when he finally accepted that this beautiful woman walks in for a library book and gets him instead. Gabrielle Union, no less. <laughs> married up you know? but um so so but but he, you know that's that's this partnership oh i can't wait around to to be perfect and good and everything i got mm-hmm. i got a partner now i got to start now and then you take a man half bad and a woman half bad and then then there's a child all good that they can share between you know and it's like that's this this mystery, this, this, and I'm not just talking about like romantic relationships. This applies sure. to, as, as you said, you know, love is the common cause. Like this is the thing we take, we take the parts of ourselves that we've fallen down, that we're shy of, that we're embarrassed about, that, that we fell down and broke and that hurt us. We take those parts and when we partner together, something good then comes out of that. And to quote from earlier in the chapter, will that save us when all the wicked things come? It'll help. Right. It'll help. You know, the, what I love so much about that, I'm not going to beat a powerful metaphor that's brief because in its power, I'm not going to beat that to death. But, you know, that's the thing is like, it'll help. That's, that's the promise. What are you looking for? A pie in the sky that everything's going to be perfect, that everything's going to, that everything's going to work out okay. Are you looking for something, uh, you know, this is obviously rhetorical and, and, reflections of myself are 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 you looking for that that promise i had a conversation when the pandemic was hitting and everything was was sort of uh going rather chaotic i had a conversation with a family member of mine um and this family member of mine was championing in their uh intention to be helpful they were championing the you know uh Set your heart behind prayer, and, and I deeply believe in that. But set your heart behind prayer, and 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 pray, or and ask for the good and the blessings, and and all of these things. And I'm I'm not even trouncing on that, right. but but what I said back to this family member, and and listeners, please bear with me some grace. The fact that I am very briefly and perhaps dismissively and reductively summarizing their position and giving mine more gravity. Recognize that I'm telling the story. I recognize that. But I said back to them, I said, I don't need an assurance that blessings will follow because I don't know if everything's going to be okay. What I am centering myself around, this is what I said to them, what I'm centering myself around is that whatever is waiting, I won't be alone when I face it. And that's what I said to them months and months ago. This was back like May and June, that whatever it is, uh, I don't need my faith or my mindset to. Some, sometimes I want it desperately to just. Hey, can you just give? Can you just sign sign a check somewhere or give me a little guarantee of like, hey, this this is gonna be fine. Just buckle down, hunker down, and everything's gonna right. be okay. We don't we don't know that, man. We are right. This this episode's gonna air the week of Halloween, 
And there's a great many people in this country who think that the next week could spell the doom of all that is to come, regard you know, in, in sure. any direction. Doom uh, waits with bated breath on the on the horizon of whatever is coming. And and Halloween as a holiday is a perfect, I cannot think of a better time except for maybe Christmas, to think about all of the things that are sort of uh, waiting to burst forth. Dark things, scary things, ominous things, but also fantastical joys and, and, uh, fantastical adventures that are just waiting to, to spring forth and give birth. And we so desperately cling to these practical applications of how everything's going to be, you know, I, I want the guarantee. Give me the guarantee. Give me the security. Give me the assurance. And instead, for me, how beautiful to think that here, right now, I'm partnering with you, my friend, in this conversation. I partner daily with my wife to navigate life together. I even, to a degree, young as he is, partner with my son to get through each and every day and moment. I partner with my friends. I partner with my family. These are the things that we do. We partner together, and as as you read, love is the common cause, and we partner together in the impossible. And what is more impossible than, I, I know this is a big statement, but what's more impossible than the fullness of love mm. doing doing what it does? Like that is so impossible, particularly in times like these. Because let me tell you, man, like not trying to be pithy, but I tell you, man, something wicked this way comes. Like, like it's so, <laughs> so vague yet so immense. Like right. that is that is what awaits on the horizon. But we, whether it's you and I in this dialogue right now, whether it's our listeners uh, sharing in this conversation with us, albeit silently, whatever it is, we we partner together. We do we do this together, and we fear nothing else, and be on our way rejoicing, and and recognize that um, it is that that partnering together that reminds us of love and shares us with love and 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 lifts and and gathers love back into itself i think that's why all the, a part of why all the way back in the garden like it is it, it is not good for man to be alone like yes yeah, sure you can talk about marriage and the garden of eden and all that other sort of stuff but like just take that statement right, and let it right. sit with you it is not good it is not good and the something wicked like I'm 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 edging close to to dancing in a political conversation and I almost think that would cheapen what we're scratching at here so I'm going to try to avoid it to a degree but like the the proprietors of division and the proprietors of people who would say like no I can I can take you back. I can send you back. Remember the remember the good old days. Remember this. Like I can, I can reclaim that for you. I can you do realize you're using Mr. Dark language, right? <laughs> exactly. No, I'm yeah. exactly yes. That is it. The people who say like I can I can bring you back. Pay me your ticket. Let me stamp your ticket. Because Join presence the carnival. in the moment, in the reality in which we live, is difficult and hard and asks a lot. Yes, it says you you. Um, we're so busy trying to become perfect yes. that we neglect to realize it's about falling down and getting up with everybody else. Yes, because goodness is a fearful occupation, and it breaks yes. us in two sometimes. And so we don't we don't want to do it. 
it it is it is contrary to the impulses so much easier to hop on the carnival the carousel and and take the ride around forward or backward or whatever we want to do just fast forward to the end so we can be past this just move us back to when all of this wasn't instead of just being right here this is this is the moment this is the right. time you and i having this conversation my family being where we are my son the age he is my wife and i the age we are this is the moment this is the time this is our place this is where we stand this is where we raise our hand we say this is this is who i am and and where i am and I will, whether it's, you know, carving crescent moons onto bullets that beat back dark and ominous witches, whatever it is, I will uh, face it rejoicing. I will, I will laugh with it. And well, I will, something that yeah. hadn't even clicked with me until this moment is, is the solidarity, you know, even Charles asks for companionship when he, when he calls for will, right? Yes. Like he yes. doesn't. He doesn't perform the shotgun trick on his own. He right. he is partnered with in that effort. And mm-hmm. this is my hand. This is my good hand. You know, because that's what that's what he says when wow. Will arrives. Yeah. You know, because because his hand has been crushed. Right. Right. Wickedness has. Uh, they say wickedness. Mister Dark literally right. crushed his hand. And so then when Will comes, this this is my hand. This is well. And what's this is so? My good hand. I mean, you know, the metaphor screams at you, but like something that I've mulled a lot is the reference that has come up a couple of times this last month or so of, of, uh, God is not nostalgia mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how, you know, we, we pine for what was, we envision what might be. And yet as Mr. Dark's, uh, uh horrific, description of what they're going to do to will tells us to be back in those places to be Mm -hmm. forward in that time as evidenced by cougars demise like these are not healthy places for right right. what is healthy and right and good is the present moment and however much the past may have made you feel a particular way you know to deny the potential of what could be in the moment having experienced all those things Mm -hmm. is to deny your place in the moment. And yeah, that's right. a, I don't, I don't totally know how to follow that, but yeah, it's, this is, th- th- yeah, I, I'm going to have to, at a certain point, just stop myself because what the, what the book does to me is it, it in ways that Ray Bradbury was a big champion of metaphor. He was a big champion and believer in just like, Hey, just, let metaphor wash over you, like just just digest it, eat, drink, breathe it in and just let it do what it does uh, in you. And this book is is just full of them. You know, the plot, as we've already said, is so you know simple and direct. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of major plot moments. But to me, why I, you know, you knew you knew when I pitched it to you and everything that this was something almost that I was setting ourselves up for like four therapy sessions, <laughs> so I'm, you know, winding this down. But, but this book to me just says so much about like, Oh man, something, something wicked has, has come and it has camped out. It has raised its tent. It is flash and bang. It is mirror and carousel, but we do not have to, uh, basically join 
the ride. We do not have to succumb to our own whims of it. However, strong the pull may be to it that we can, um, we can respond to the fear of death because that in the book is all death is. It's just fear. It leaves everything else sad, but death is just fear. And we can respond to that with joy and rejoicing and, uh, and, and beat it back. That's, we haven't mentioned this because it's a, it, it, it's a, plot point that is kind of in a culmination in the end, uh, what finally restores Jim's lifeless body is when Will and Charles dance around like idiots. Yeah. Yeah. They dance around like idiots and rejoice and beat back death with their reckless abandon of joy, which I think is just so beautiful and wonderful. And that's what breathes life back into Jim to join that dance and to come back into it. Um, And uh, yeah. Well, I guess my final note there too on that notion of metaphor is like, I can't, uh, there, there's multiple quotes from the book that, that kind of, uh, haunt me in the best way possible. And one of those two is everything that happens before death is what matters. And you could use that as a chronological statement, i.e. 50 years from now, however many years from now, when a person dies, the things that happen that precede that are what matters. And I think that's a, a valuable and important takeaway there, but also, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, a stretch to say the carnival itself represents death. Mm-hmm. And, and so you could also interpret that to say everything that happens before death in the presence of death, it is around you. Yeah, it is. It has, it has set up shop what you do around it matters mm-hmm. what you do in the face of it, what you do within the knowledge of its presence matters. Mm-hmm. And the preceding statement to that text is, is death important? No, you know, it's there, right? What is, what is, if, if we're going with the metaphor, that the carnival equals death, what is it in sight in the actions of these main characters, Charles, Will and Jim, it it incites Will and Jim to connect. I'm sorry, Will and Charles to connect across the generation that has right. held yes. them away from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I, something I remember. I have this um, strong memory of the the revelation of learning in my religious studies at our shared alma mater in a class about the Old Testament prophets, and I was at a stage of understanding at the time where not knowing much about quote unquote, the prophets in your head, you assume the prophets and, or the prophetic is some sort of uh, signpost to a future thing, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, how often people will interpret revelation for instance. But um, so in my, in my mind, that's how I came in to this class. Like, okay, well this is kind of what we're going to talk about. It's about how the prophets of the old Testament signal things that were to come for the people that they were with. Whereas, yeah the great revelation that happened to me in that class was that the prophets did more to speak to the present moment and the people's understanding and comprehension of it mm-hmm. than they had anything to say about what is to come and far off and, right. and right. pie in the sky. And I think that's where something like the sentence, everything that happens before death is what matters is prophetic. Mm-hmm. It is calling to you to say, your stress, your ambivalence, your anxiousness, your, your concern, your distress, whether it's 
death itself or COVID, which I am a respecter of that moment and this moment and all that sort of stuff. But those concerns, it is very scriptural. Those concerns are not yours to carry. Right. Right. It is because what does that, what does that result in? That results in being busy wrestling myself two falls out of three such Mm -hmm. that you find you can't wait to be perfect, but you got to go out and fall down and get up with everybody else. Right. Perfection is a never achievable out there. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. is worrying about death. Yeah. I mean, on a certain level. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I feel, you know, that I know you don't want to, I'll but. never be done. No, I'll never be done. Um, but this, you know, this this Halloween, Happy Halloween, listeners. Happy Halloween, Nathan. Thank you. Really. Um, uh, this this Halloween, when even the festivities will look very different than they have in years past, um, and the the uh, spirit of the season, uh, if if there is anything that reading this book in this time, this time, mm-hmm. pandemic time, upcoming election time. Like if there's anything that reading this book, upcoming what? this What's up? up, upcoming, upcoming election time. Mm, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mark your calendar. So, okay. um, so um, it, it, reading this book in this moment has reminded me of all, all that we've, share together we partner together in the impossible that love is the common cause that you cannot wait to be perfect that you fear nothing else and go on your way rejoicing some of that language is ours some of that language is borrowed some of that language is bradbury's um but this book has has reminded like you know something wicked this way comes so vague and yet so immense um but as he quotes moby dick in the very beginning uh but I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. And, mm, um, that's great. And I, and I just, I, I hope, uh, I, I should ask before we pivot into, you know, the conclusion, you know, fog meter of, of all of this. Have, have you enjoyed this? Uh, I know you, you did this largely as a favor to me to, <laughs> to read this book. I know that. That's what a lot um, of our fear of God experiences. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but did you, did, I mean, did, that was great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a it's a worthy, uh, worthy to be on the shelf, worthy to be in the spirit, worthy to be in conversation. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, I I we can if you want, let's do a fog meter for it. Okay, um, and then uh, so so the fog meter is our our very general metric of uh, fear and God. We we rate a thing, mostly movies, but here we have a book um, on its scares and its substance, if it will. Um, Listeners will be surprised, not at all, and I will not qualify it very much. I'm going to start with my fear measurement, and I'm going to give this a a, a nine. Uh, I almost give it a ten because of its uh, sort of uh, gravity of certain things. It does not have very many keep you awake at night passages. There are probably four or five sections of the book that I would point to and be like, that's legit scary. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you come across that passage and you're on the rhythm of the book, it is a freaky passage. Um, but the book as a whole, I think is more um, inspiring and thought provoking than it is frightening, but I would still give it a nine on the fear factor. What would you? Um, I think I will downgrade by a point to an eight. Um, I do think the combination of kind of grotesque imagery 
coupled with, and this is um, the undiscerning reader might not find this. In other words, I'm thinking like, hey, if my 12 year old read this one, it, she'd wet the bed. But two, <laughs> um, are you going to pick up on this? It's more subtext than text. But the existential aspect of um, time and nostalgia and future, and you know, like right. those things, those anxieties take the grotesque literal imagery and amp it up. So yeah. I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. Uh, what would you give it for the God meter? Feel no pressure or obligation. This is not... Stop. Will you stop? <laughs> qualify before I can even speak. Um, qualifying my words is my job. Um, no, I think there's flowery, wor- flowery words. Flowery words. There's flowery <laughs> words, and then there's substance to back it up. And I think this has both in spades. Um, I don't think any of what we've talked about in the last almost two hours has been purely of our design or of our extrapolation. I think it's there to tug at and to, you know, uh, mess around with and and explore more in depth. So, no, I'm going to give it a 10, not just because I have a favor to you. That's that's delightful. Of course, listeners will be surprised not one bit that I'm going to give this a ten. This is a this is a bona fide ten for me. This this book is the kind of book that even if I do not reread it beginning to end, I will frequently revisit some of these passages. You know, chapter forty, chapter twenty eight. Uh, there will be passages that I'll pull out and that I will just absorb and digest again. As I said, there are some sections that I feel. Uh, a bold uh, statement as this may be are just inches shy of scripture. Um, I think, I think it is, uh, spirit and truth to be sure and, and really does some wonderful things in my heart when I, I let it bounce and dance around in my, in my spirit. So yeah, 10 for me. And that means we give the novel something wicked this way comes. Um, a, I'm going to round it up. Because it's like a fractional thing. I'm going to round it up to a nine and a half. So it's a nine and a half well, out of ten on the fog. That meter, said, so. I give our, um, if you combine our forces, our film version of something we have this way comes. I'm going to give it a solid ten. Like that's, that's a, that's that's a, a masterpiece waiting to happen to the typewriter, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you probably, we've probably already answered this question. Listeners know I wholeheartedly recommend this book. Do you rec, would you recommend like, and then I actually, honestly, like, you know, uh, would you recommend that just people pop out? Absolutely. And pick this up I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a brisk read. Um, um, <laughs> there are blips where you might trip and fall into the pit of poetry, which is okay. Sure, right. But yes, every now and like, I will be real forthright with you trying to finish uh, section two last night. I started to be like, my, I got my eyes got swimmy. I was like, I don't know what I'm reading right now, <laughs> but <laughs> understood. But, yeah. But that, those are, those feelings are few and far between and it's, you know, yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you have thousand page Stephen King books in the world and you've got a 260 page, you know, Bradbury fair, classic, it's, fair, it's no, easy, easy to recommend. No, absolutely. Um, so listeners, there it is. Uh, we hope you have a very, very happy Halloween. Um, this was Halloween. This, yeah, this, this is Halloween. Um, we, uh, so, so we have a couple of things on the horizon for you. Uh, in, in closing this down, we hope you've enjoyed this wandering. We hope sincerely 
This is uh, a strange and and weird world that we are living in right now with everything going on. I hope that this uh, and, and Nathan, you can certainly speak if you uh, have anything to add in. But I hope that this holiday season is for you. This this Halloween week is uh, full of uh, laughter and wonderful frights and and macabre delights and and uh, wasn't trying to rhyme and and lots of just the wonderful uh, things that this season can bring, but also the reflections of how. Uh, um, you know the 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 darkness threatens and the darkness kicks and screams and and cajoles, but uh, but ultimately uh, evil has only the power that we that we give it. And a, a large part of why I love Halloween so much is because it is uh, my chance, somewhat ironically, uh, to starve the darkness by uh, sort of uh, dancing with it. And so uh, I hope that that same spirit uh, greets you this Halloween. What we have on the horizon is there is a little bonus episode that's going to be dropping in a few days. Uh, it's a conversation that I had with Bill Oberst Jr., frequent uh, guest on the show, um, and uh, he has a one-man show about Ray Bradbury that he does. He talks quite a bit about that show, and we talk about Bradbury's work as a whole. Um, I think you would really enjoy that conversation. It's pretty brief, especially compared to the chats that Nathan and I have. Um, so that <laughs> bonus episode is dropping the day before Halloween, and then the very next week, uh, we will be conversing with all of our dear friends about the Dead Zone. So um, Stephen King's The Dead Zone. Watch the film. Read the book if you have the moment. Um, and uh, we will see you for either or both of those things. Don't forget to go to thefearofgodpodcast.com to vote for 2020-2020 if you haven't already. Nathan, thank you so much for letting me have this conversation, this lengthy. I've, I've just, it's, my hey, spirit is full. It's Love is the delight. common cause, and my common cause was read this book. <laughs> so wonderful um, and listeners thank you so very much for uh, listening uh, along with us um, and as we say on every episode the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing we'll see you next week everybody happy Halloween guys happy Halloween bye the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.